Great to be here with you on this Monday. Kevin Thomas, Ben Troop, glad you're with us. Thanks for making us a part of your day. So much to get to here on the program. We'll hear from David Waters, Gators Breakdown. Uh, looking at it from the Florida angle after this weekend. Obviously some post-game comments. Now uh, Dan Mullen's press conference today drawing a lot of uh, talking points. We'll get to uh, that. Also Brooks Austin uh, will join us. Uh, Dogs Daily on SI. So we'll look to talk talk with Brooks here about that big win over Florida. Georgia expected to be number one tomorrow night when the first college football playoff poll comes out. We'll talk to Brooks about that. Also, in the final hour, we'll hear from Gaurav Vidak of uh, Talking Chop. We'll talk some Braves with him. Braves played the last two games with essentially rookie pitchers. One guy making his first ever start in Major League Baseball in the World Series. He's the first guy in the history of baseball to do that. And then started a rookie who hasn't pitched in the big leagues since June in Game 5. So we'll talk to him about that as we get ready for Game 6 tomorrow night. But uh, Ben, obviously, uh, heading into the weekend, it was college football. It was the Braves. Could we be talking about a World Series victory uh, on Monday? We are not. Still two more games, potentially. Braves still need one more, uh, but played pretty well. I, I think the the narrative, if we, we talk about it all season long, and is... Just win series. Well, if you look at it, what would Braves fans take? Let's win one out of two in Houston. Take two out of three in Atlanta. One out of two in Houston. And your World Series champs. Well, they've done the first two legs of that. Uh, held serve at home for the most part. And now need just one more to win the World Series. Kevin, you knew this Astros team was not going to go quiet into the night. I mean, uh, it was... I mean, let's face it, this weekend, it was, it was a roller coaster. I mean, when you look at... When you, when you, think, when you think about game four and how well... Uh, the Braves play being down 2-0 and we're being down 2-1 and then have back-to-back jacks from Swanson and obviously Solaire. You know, you go into you go into uh, game five and then you hit current slam, but then you start thinking, man, was it too early? Because the thing about Houston is they just like a Dodgers team, or they seem to play better when their backs are against the wall. You like I do, Kevin, I would have man, I would have loved it to be have been over last night, but I just think that, like you said, Kevin, I mean, the Braves are still ahead of schedule, right? You say you wanted to get one out of two uh, in Houston. You did that by winning game one. Uh, you go, you get, you, you know, you get back-to-back wins to go up 3-1, three, three, and then you thought that, you know, uh, game five, that was going to be it. But, I mean, you know, have Tuve and the bunch and the gang, they they find a way to, you know, to play really, really good stifling offense and then, you know, the, the, uh, quality pitching. I, I, do, I do like the uh, – like the sense of humor by the, by this by this Braves bullpen, people asking, you know, that bullpen man, you know, what are you gonna remember most about Game Five? We're not gonna be uh, Hall of Famers now because you know we we didn't do our job. But no, it's 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 the Astros, and uh, a narrative is not being talked about enough. The Braves are proving they belong because they haven't been in the World Series or since '99. And then you're talking about a Houston Astros team that's trying to show Kevin and we can win without without cheating. I mean, let's face it, until the Astros win without the scandal. People think they can only win because of the scandal. So you got two teams on two, uh, you know, total different wavelengths trying to find a way to get over the hump. I know this Braves team. I, I hope they're not. Well, it's too many different guys on this team to be thinking this is going to be, you know, uh, the NLCS uh, in 2020 all over again. I don't. I don't see it being that. I just think that this is a Houston Astros team that understands that they on they didn't take this Braves team lightly. But Kevin, you know, just like I know, having to beat the Braves two times, two games in a row, that's going to be hard for anybody in this postseason. So I do like the Braves' chances of moving. You know, even though they got to go back to Houston. Yeah, again, going to Houston is not going to be easy. I still feel confident in the in this team, as you said. Uh, grand slam by Duvall. Yeah, I was I was fired up. Uh, but again, you were dealing with a uh, bullpen game 
where you were pitching a young man, Tucker Davidson. I mean, that's a tight spot. You haven't really pitched in the big leagues in a couple of months. You're still a rookie. You had to be wide-eyed. I mean, Dylan Lee the night before, his first ever Major League start. Hey, man, go get him. It's Major League. It's the World Series. Uh, and you could tell they were nervous. And so, look, uh, in some respects, I'm like, let the Astros get it out of their system a little bit uh, last night. BJ talks about this. I don't believe in it totally to that degree. But, hey, if they're going to knock you around, let them get it all out at one time and then uh, move on to uh, to game six. You got Max Fried and Ian Anderson. As far as what you have left on your roster, this is about as good as you could hope for for the Braves. Max Fried and Ian Anderson, your two best guys uh, that are left in game six and seven. So, look, I, I still feel confident uh, in what the Atlanta Braves have in front of them. And, again, despite the fact that they've lost two, it's not like the Braves – haven't been able to score runs off this Astros team. They got five last night, for crying out loud. Uh, five will win you a lot of games uh, most times. They didn't last night. So I thought the Braves, uh, again, outside of the Grand Slam for a large stretch of that game, didn't really play all that well. Uh, you did have a couple of you know bloop hits that kind of led to some runs. So uh, you have to shake it off and move on. And, and, again, I think everybody's feeling that malaise because I think the hope was the storybook finish, right? Oh, we're in Truist. We're at home. What could be better than winning the World Series at home? How about just win the World Series? That's that, that that's the goal. And I think a lot of people were like, man, really wanted to be in the house, really wanted to be in the battery uh, when the Braves uh, won the World Series and be a part of that moment, part of that celebration. It's not going to happen. Uh, but now you have two chances to win one game. And the Astros have to win each game uh, to, to finish it out. I mean, Kevin, it's going to have to be a Braves team that keeps the pressure on. I mean, uh, Baseball is different than any other sport because, you know, one inning can really be the difference. I mean, people talk about, I mean, it's nine innings, and people say, oh, if you go back to that, you know, the bottom of the first or the top of the it's I think with the Braves is, you know, go through the ebbs and flows, but understand that you got to be able to refocus uh, each inning because Astros, like the Braves, they can score in bunches. I mean, you look up, next thing you know, oh, you know, I mean, you people forget. I mean, you start off with a grand slam. Most teams, that's it. You spend the rest of the game. You lost the game nine to five. So this Astros team is very, very dangerous. Nobody's there. And, and guess what? They're in the World Series for a reason. But I think the Braves, while they are saying, quote, we got two games to win one, you don't want to, you don't want to make it that dreaded because you know, the seventh game, seventh game in baseball, just like the seventh game in, the, in, in basketball, anything could happen and nerves are kind of at an all-time high. And, Kevin, obviously it's easy for us to sit here and say, man, go ahead and take care of game six. But yeah. I think that this Braves teams understand the urgency of game six, keeping pressure, applying pressure to this Astros team, keeping pressure on those guys, doing it with the bats. Because the one thing I've been very, very impressed with, I've been very, very impressed with this Braves bullpen. Regardless of what hasn't happened, these guys have gotten each other out of jams. They've looked out for each other. They've pitched exceptionally well. When you think about Kevin, this was the, this was the Achilles heel of the team all year. They have stepped up. Now they got to step up. I, I know I say this for every big game. One time in your life, Braves, step up and you can listen. And you can go into the offseason a happy team because guess what? People talking about what the what the what what the Washington Nationals was able to do a couple of years ago. Hey, the Braves are ahead of schedule as well. And unlike Strasburg, they have pitches that play every year, not you know not every other year. So we'll see. But yeah, shout out to the Astros over putting you know uh, taking it back to uh, Houston. We'll see if the Braves gonna uh, you know go ahead and clinch that, clinch this World Series uh, come tomorrow night. Yeah, absolutely. And again, I think uh, if you're a Braves fan, stay confident in what this team has done. And uh, it's a matter of oh man, it's going bad. Can do you think this Houston team can beat this Braves team three games in a row? Because that's basically what they're going to have to do. And again, I think this Braves team down the stretch has been a much better team. They're still hitting the baseball. 
uh, pretty well uh, on offense. I still feel pretty good about it. And you're going to start Max Fried in game six. Houston going to start a rookie in game six. So I think some things still tilt in the, the Braves' favor leading into that. But Ben, we also had a big college football weekend, uh, big game in Jacksonville. Uh, Georgia beating Florida, a game that was close for about the first 25 minutes, and then it kind of fell apart. Or, well, if you, either way, if you're a dog fan or a Gator fan, you can say, hey, if the game fell apart because it was close and then it wasn't. However you want to look at that, uh, it came down, great play, uh, made there inside, uh, what, the 10-yard line yeah. uh, against, uh, against Florida by uh, a guy we've seen play, obviously, there in uh, in Savannah way back when before moving on to uh, to IMG. Nolan Smith. Nolan Smith. Out there balling. Yeah, and he ripped it out. Next play, Georgia scores. Ensuing possession. Florida uh, throws a pick, and all of a sudden you're saying, at least I did when I was watching it, Ben, I'm saying, look, this game's over. Uh, and it was right there before halftime. It went from 3 nothing to, in the last three minutes of the half, what, 24 to nothing? Yeah. Or, or, real quick, and you're saying, Florida's not going to be able to score that many points. I mean, you just, you just knew the way Georgia played defense, they weren't going to be able to score that many points. Listen, shout out to the homie Adam Fish. I can see you right here, Ben. You have to call it the Georgia, Florida, Georgia, Florida until next year after the beatdown this weekend. <laughs> no hard feelings go to. No, 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 Adam, you're right. Look, Adam, they what uh, what Kevin just said. Look, you can't expect to beat a team like Georgia turning the football over. And just like I was saying, Kevin, with uh, team scoring in bunches and you three to nothing, and you look up as twenty four to nothing because you got three straight turnovers. You got a rip. You know, you ripped the ball out of Nola Smith. Uh, you know, then the next play you scored in the Kobe Dean with a pick six. I mean, I, I just think that you learn a lot when you when you start a guy like Anthony Richardson. Uh, this Georgia, this 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 um, you look at the box score, it doesn't really, you know, what, what you don't show up, what don't show up is those turnovers. I mean, I think Florida outgained uh, Georgia's offense, had more first downs. I don't know about the time of possession, but Georgia proved why. You know, they're a great team. I mean, Stetson Bennett didn't play well. The Georgia offense, they played okay. Zamir White, great story about Zamir White before the game. I mean, had an incredible day on the ground. But I just think that if you are Florida, you learn a lot from a game like this. You know, I know I know we're going to talk today. Waters a little bit later with Gators breakdown about, you know, what the difference, the difference is not just the scheme. It's the players. It's, it come down to recruiting. It come down to if I got better talent than you have and I got better players, you know, uh, you know, across the board than you have, I got a better shot to win. But shout out to them. Shout out to them dogs, man. Finding a way to keep, keep it going. Uh, you know, Kevin, understanding that, look, I know every game they win with, with BJ with this market correction stuff. No. You know what market correction is? Jordan Davis, N'Kobe Dean, Nolan, Nolan Smith. Those guys finding a way to go out there and get it done. So shout out to Kirby Smart and them dogs finding a way to be the standard, the gold standard right now. Uh, you know, in the SEC East, and, uh, and uh, I think clinched again on uh, on Saturday, SEC East champs, I think for the, what, I think three out of the last four years. Yeah, so you're going to call it Georgia-Florida? I, I will call it Georgia-Florida, Adam. <laughs> I, I am, look, look, I, I eat a lot of humble pie. I don't like it, but I do. I have learned to digest it and take it down, drink water with it. But, Adam, yes, I will call it Georgia-Florida. Until until next year, uh, you know, I mean, I, I glowed a little bit last year, but you guys got it this year, so hey, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be no uh, I'm not gonna be you know not gonna be sour grapes over here, man. So shout out to them dogs finding a way to get a very very impressive win against my Gators on Saturday. Yeah, we've got more to come here on three and out. Speaking of the Gators, a uh, lot being made of Dan Mullen's comments today. We'll talk to uh, uh, David Waters of Gators Breakdown. We come back. It's three and out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back here on 3 and Out on this Monday. 
Kevin and Ben, BJ will be back with us later this week as we come out of a big weekend World Series. Georgia and Florida Dogs uh, dominate uh, the Gators there in Jacksonville. Of course, talking points about the quarterback, uh, Anthony Richardson versus Emory Jones going in that game. Anthony Richardson got the start. Uh, obviously didn't play all that uh, great. And then, of course, Kirby makes some comments about recruiting uh, after the game. And earlier today, Dan Mullen was asked about recruiting there at Florida. Uh, Coach, the topic of recruiting has come up a lot in the last couple of days from a few angles. Uh, is it a different approach needed for the, the level no. of consistency? Well, we're, we're in the season right now. We'll do recruiting after the season. And when it gets this recruiting time, we can talk about recruiting. Sounds good. Okay. Um, Next question. The guy who asked him that question joins us now. David Waters of Gators Breakdown joins us here on 3 and Out. David just played the question you asked there of, uh, of Dan Mullen. I know that's caused a, a lot of uproar today. How did you take his response there, and how should uh, Gator fans kind of interpret that response? Yeah, he uh, probably didn't sound too pleased with me asking a recruiting question during the season here, but uh, that's where Florida is right now. And, look, I know a lot of coaches don't want to talk recruiting uh, during the season, but he didn't have an issue talking about recruiting after a, a win over Georgia last year. So, especially after Kirby Smart's comments uh, about recruiting after the big win over Florida Saturday night, uh, of course, you know, it's probably going to come up today. So, uh, asked about it, and look, it was misconstrued a bit. Dan Mullen's not saying they do not recruit during, you know, not during a recruiting season. But, you know, uh, he said that's when they'll talk to the media uh, about it. So whenever that is, we'll know. But, of course, uh, the message uh, of just kind of shoving it off uh, was not going to please Gator Nation too much. And Dave, I mean, what what does that say about you know where we you know where Florida is at the program right now? Yes, four and four, you still got a chance to, you know, go out there and win the next four games and you know kind of make the season look okay. But you get judged by the best teams in your conference, some of the best teams in the country. Outside, you know, it was three to zero. Then you look up at twenty four to zero after three turnovers. Where is Florida as a program? And Dan Muller not answering your question about recruiting. What does that say about him at this point? Uh, ben, as far as uh, where it is, you know, I, look, I was a big fan of, uh, of hiring Dan Mullen from Florida in 2018. It was, it was the right move, especially where Florida was at. But in the back of my mind and, you know, and putting it out there at the same time, recruiting was going to need to, to pick up from the Jim McElwain era because you were just coming off of Georgia making a college football, appearance, college football playoff appearance and playing in the national championship game against Alabama, two SEC teams right there. And that was the best example right there of what you have to do to compete when you got hired at Florida and two of the other premier programs in the SEC just got through playing in the national championship because of the way they recruit. That's not the only reason, but it's a big reason. And, you know, Kirby Smart's right, so. David Waters, Gators Breakdown, joining us here on 3 and Out. Obviously, on Saturday, things did not go Florida's way. I know a lot of the fans were on the Anthony Richardson, Emory Jones breakdown. Uh, I know it's tough to say it was the right call, wrong call from, from one game. I mean – if he plays Emory Jones, is the is the result any different? You guys still got me? I'm I'm here. we're here. We hear you. Okay, okay. Uh, well, you know, we'll see what the health of Anthony Richardson is uh, right now. He did have a head injury, shoulder injury. We'll see uh, what comes out of that. But you got to ride with him the whole way. You can't make that move in playing you know, the the biggest game you had the rest of the season. That was the signal right there. That was the signal the move needed to be made. And as long as Anthony Richardson's healthy, I think he should be the guy moving forward. He is the future. You're sitting at 4-4 four four right now. You are building towards 2022. And Florida needs to do that with Anthony Richardson. 
And Dave, I mean, I you know, obviously the game didn't didn't end up the way Florida wanted it to. I mean, you still got some things that you can look at this coming out of this game. I mean, you know, uh, Florida had more yards uh, from scrimmage than than Georgia did. Florida, you know, was able to have more first downs. Yes, you're gonna come back to the turnovers, but Anthony Richardson was making his first start in the, in the SEC against a Georgia team, a Georgia defense that doesn't give up hardly anything. I mean, what what is what is something you could take away? Not not talking about the quarterback position and hopefully Dan Mudd is using because as you mentioned something you said on Twitter, you gotta put it in the back burner because you got a South Carolina team that could definitely uh, keep you back in that, have you right back in that L column. Yeah, Ben, it's just about, you know, moving forward. Ken, what what positives can you take away? At quarterback, okay, he made his first start. He learns from it. You, you move that from there. Florida ran the ball okay. Damian Pierce looked good. So nobody's really run the ball a whole lot on Georgia this year. Damian Pierce goes in there and, and does some nice things in the running game. But, you know, obviously just limited to a young quarterback playing against the best defense in the country. Uh, how much can you glean from that? You know, only moving forward will, will we know what Anthony Richardson, the quarterback, takes forward from that. And how the, how the team revolves around it. You know, does Dan Mullen now, with the schedule getting easier, go back to the run game? Because Florida should be able to run the ball. Or do you let the offense grow within your quarterback? I think that's something I'm looking out for Saturday night is how much of the quarterback or how much of the offense is now quarterback-centric and not running back-centric. David Waters, Gators Breakdown, joining us here. And we, we talked a lot about a, a number of things here with Dan Mullen. How hot is the, the seat on, on Dan Mullen right now? I know maybe if he finishes strong, it's not the case. Maybe it's fans overreacting to uh, the way they lost to Georgia. But where is kind of the... The, the hot seat meter with Dan Mullen right now. Yeah, I, I still think it would take a lot for him not to be head coach of Florida next season. Uh, it'd take a massive collapse. I, I, I just don't see coming. Florida's better than the, the four teams they have on their schedule. If you want to count a bowl game as well. Um, he's on a hot seat for next year. I don't think for the rest of this year the, 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 you know, the hot seat talk's probably too premature. But it does set up hot seat talk. For 2022, he has a lot of changes to make on the coaching staff to, to appease some of the fan base, but also just to get better inside of his own program. So, hot seat talk for 2021, not there yet, but it does set it up for 2022. And David, obviously, every every single week, I mean, you know, Dan Mullen is going to have to deal with the scrutiny of if he wins or loses a game. People look at the season, I think it comes down to a couple of plays. I mean, the offense scored 42 points against LSU. Came up two points short of, uh, two points short of tying the game against Alabama. And I, I just, the offense just couldn't get going against Kentucky. If he's 6-2 and two right now instead of 4-4, four and four, is, the scrutiny, is, the, is the scrutiny level still at, at an all-time high? Or is it just the fact that he's Dan Mullen? He's underachiever right now being 4-4. Four and four? Yeah, yeah, it's an inconsistency, man. You look at every week as something different, whether it be turnovers, whether it be penalties. Well, those two things have kind of shown up all year. But one game is the offense. One game is the defense. Now, Florida's been putting up a whole lot of yards, but it's those turnovers. It's those penalties that kill, that's killing Florida. What I think is hurting Florida right now, Ben, is the thing that you've been able to count on, like the good coaching, the good game management, the clock management, um, you know, playing up in big games that we just haven't seen this year, You know, playing down to the competition. So a lot of things that you've been able to count on and the small attention to detail that Dan Mullen has brought to the table so far, it's not there this year. And that's why Florida sits at 4-4 four and, four and not 6-2 and two or 7-1, and one, like you say. A lot of those things that Dan Mullen has built his reputation on, we're not seeing those things this year. You mentioned the defense there, David. Uh, rate kind of their performance. I know they got short-fielded at least a couple of times there by the, by the end of the half. Uh, how do you think they played against Georgia there on Saturday? 
I thought they did about as well as you could ask, especially coming off that LSU performance a couple of weeks ago. Now, Georgia gets, got some rushing yards and almost hit 200 yards in, in that department. But for what we saw a couple of weeks ago coming off that LSU game, uh, you know, they, they fixed it to a point. Uh, and you would love to make them and love to see them come up with a big stop when, in the short field scenarios. But that was a lot to ask versus this Georgia, this Georgia offense there. So they, they, I thought they showed up. They did well enough. They did their part. Uh, enough to keep Florida in it. You know, this 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 Florida Georgia game was a lot about what it always is to me is getting off to a fast start. Florida has not been able to do that on defense ever since Dan Mullen and Todd Grantham came to Florida, and they finally got those stops. They finally got those stops early in the game, but the offense couldn't help them out. So I thought for what I was asking for this defense to do and how they needed to show and perform, I thought they showed up enough where Florida should have been able to get some points up and maybe put some pressure on Georgia for a change. Obviously, uh, with the next game coming up, Dave, it's going to have to be a, a great showing for the offense because you see what his defense was able to do against a team like Georgia. How much of this is going to is, is going to rest upon how you know Florida you know uh, ends up the rest of the season? I know it's going to be about getting bowl eligible, but if they can be impressive, uh, these next four games, a quality win against a South Carolina team, maybe even a quality win against a Mizzou or a or uh, you know a Florida State team, how much is this going to be? Hey, man, we just didn't play our best against maybe some better teams, not named not named Kentucky and LSU. Yeah, maybe ben, maybe off the field. Maybe it starts this week. Uh, right now, we are hearing you know, no, no more no more press for coaches and players this week. Uh, Dan Mullen would do his Wednesday SEC teleconference, but there are no more media sessions for coaches and, and players right now. So I think they're going into a bunker mentality. And maybe you can, maybe you could say that should have been done before now, but it does seem like it's a us versus the world kind of mentality. Maybe the press conference today plays some part into it. Uh, but it does seem like right now there is a, a do-or-die, us-against-the-world mentality. And we'll see if, you know, maybe shutting it down this week of all the outside noise, it's going to have to pay dividends Saturday night. Florida's better than South Carolina. Florida just has to go and show they're better than South Carolina. And not this three, you know, ten-point win. Florida needs to go out there and make a statement because they haven't been on the winning side like they should have been the last few months, and go out there and get on the winning side, and maybe that's a spark for the rest of the season that these Gator teams need. And David, finally, I mean, I know, I know, uh, obviously, you know, it's going to go viral with you asking the question of Dan Mullen, but. Dan Mullen, year four. You would think, I mean, everybody's going to go through growing pains. Dan Mullen, the same guy that said, you know, we got a bunch of independent contractors last year when the defense wasn't playing well and this, that, and the third. Dan Mullen seems to be a guy that's good at deflecting blame. He's, he doesn't seem to be a guy that likes to accept blame. I understand that he is the biggest ambassador at $7.5 million a year being the head coach of Florida. Yeah, Ben, I mean, no, look, no, no head coach likes to be questioned. Um, you know, and we, through the fan base and through the media, his passion this year has been questioned. Uh, then you had the, the recruiting remarks from Kirby Smart Saturday night. That was, Of course it was, in a way, uh, a shot at Dan Mullen. And you know it should have been. We know how important recruiting is. So that's why he was asked about it today. And once again, kind of like you said, maybe, maybe deflecting a little bit. Uh, but we'll see. You know, Maybe it's the, there's a look in the mirror uh, that needs to happen. And not with just Dan Mullen. Uh, administration. All the rest of the coaching staff, the players as well. You know, when you sit at four and four, Ben, it's not just the head coach. It starts right there. Uh, but when you're Florida and you you sit at four and four, it's so it's a program wide issue right now. So there's there's a lot of looking in the mirror, starting with the head coach, the, the administration, the athletic director, and trying to get this thing turned around. David Waters, Gators breakdown. Our guest here on Three and Out, David. Appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Hey, thank you guys so much. Appreciate it. David Waters, Gators Breakdown, joining us here on 3 and Out. We'll come back with more. Brooks Austin set to join us 
all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Have you here on three and out? Dogs win it in Jacksonville. Stay undefeated. Stay number one. We'll be number one in all likelihood when the college football playoff poll comes out uh, tomorrow. And joining us here to talk about that and much more from Dogs Daily on SI, Brooks Austin joins us here on three and out. Brooks, welcome. How are you? I'm doing well, gentlemen. How are you all today? Oh, doing fantastic. Georgia defense uh, sh- coming up big again. It was kind of a back-and-forth type ball game. You were just waiting for Georgia really to make a play, and then right before the half, a couple of big plays by that Georgia defense really uh, turned it in an entire different direction. Yeah, I tweeted Saturday afternoon. Um, I think if you sat down and tried to create the most destructive way to end uh, the second or the first half, rather, I don't think you could create a storyline as destructive as what Florida did to themselves uh, in the last two and a half minutes. I, I honestly, guys, I've been watching football for you know about 95% of my conscious life. I don't think I've ever seen anything that bad or anything along those lines um, in terms of what transpired literally in about 90 seconds worth of game time. I haven't seen anything like it. And, and Ben, I don't know if you have in your years of watching Florida football, I've never seen anything like that. And, Brooks, I mean, even sticking with that, I mean, sometimes it just comes down to just not panicking. And when you think about, like we said, I mean, football is a game of inches. I mean, when you break it down, it comes down to the moments. And you go from 3-0 to zero to 24-0 very, very quickly from pick sixes and, and uh, fumbles. But it just shows, too, that this is a, this is an opportunistic, like, defense. And these guys are always ready to make a play. Just talk about the way Dan Lanning makes sure these guys are always in a position. But, look, man, if that, if that proposing offense makes a mistake, we make them pay. Yeah, I think the most important thing that they do is, is schematically they're so sound, but more important than that, they teach eye discipline, right? I mean, I, I've talked about it on multiple radio shows last week. I didn't think Florida's offensive, you know, schematics were stylistically something that you could do against Georgia. This isn't a defense that you can line up and say, hey, we're going to trick you for four quarters. I, I, I think you saw Dan Mullen go into his bag for a handful of trick plays during this football game, all of which to no avail because – Again, and it's not just, hey, they threw a double pass. There's a lot more in terms of eye discipline that Florida's you know, run scheme requires you to have right throughout four quarters. And Georgia's just one of the best defenses in the country, uh, if not you know, probably the best defense in the country in terms of eye discipline. They just don't, get, they don't make mistakes where people are in the wrong spot. So trying to make a defense be in the wrong spot for four quarters uh, against a team like Georgia is just not a very good game plan. And, and to be honest, I think if you've been watching Florida this year, that's who they are. That's what they've co- co- you know comprised themselves of is, hey, let's try to make the, op- the opponent lose a guy or you know be in the wrong spot or be in the wrong gap. That's just not what Georgia is defensively. Brooks Austin joining us here on the three and out. Brooks, offensively, I know Stetson Bennett had a kind of a, maybe one of his worst days of the season in terms of throwing a couple of picks. Uh, how would you rate that Georgia offense? And I know fans like to continue with the quarterback back and forth, but you're getting to a stage of the season where one way or another you got to put that stuff to bed, right? Yeah, it's about time to make a decision, and I, I think they're slowly but surely getting there. Um no, if, if we're led to believe that everything Kirby Smart told us this week or the last two weeks during the lead-up to Florida were true, if, if, we're, if we're expected to believe that JT Daniels was 100% healthy and back to work um, and back competing for starting time, well, they went with this decision this weekend based off continuity. And I don't know about y'all, but if continuity is going to be the reasoning, then Stetson Bennett is probably going to remain the starting quarterback the rest of the year. That's what you're led to believe, right? If he chose continuity – 
week eight. Why wouldn't he choose continuity week nine, 10, 11, 12, and on into the playoffs? I don't know. Um, but, yeah, I thought, I thought Stetson played you know, below average compared to his own standards. And, look, the, the turnovers part of improvements, right, the limiting of the turnovers from last year to this year through his first three starts and first four games, or excuse me, first four starts and last three consecutive starts, he hadn't turned the ball over, and he didn't, you know, put the ball at risk. He did a lot of that on Saturday, and that's that's something to be concerned about. But I think most importantly, you saw a bad Stetson Bennett football game. Um, you saw a bad Stetson Bennett football game last year. You lost by 17 points on the road in Alabama. Saw a bad Stetson Bennett this weekend, and the game was never really in fear of losing it, in my opinion. So um, that just goes to show you how great this defense is and how balanced this roster is as a whole. And, Brooks, I mean, it begs the question. I mean, as you mentioned, I mean, it was never, ever in doubt when you think about the way this defense was able to go out there and help create turnovers, giving that offense a short field. But maybe it's going to come a time to where maybe this offense is going to have to do their part. I mean, as great as this defense is, do you think Stetson Bennett or JT Daniels, for that matter, if he is the starter, do they have it in them if they are down 10 points, 14 points? Do this, is this offense built to bring, a, to bring a team back and potentially have to win a game and not, and not rely on that D? I think what you're hitting at, Ben, is does Georgia's offense have the ability to score in bundles or in bunches? I think it's what you're kind of hitting on. And I I think they've shown the ability to do that this year. They even showed the ability to do it Saturday against Florida, believe it or not. They needed to score quickly, uh, especially after that second touchdown, right? And they score on a 35-yard pass play to Karis Jackson um, against the defensive backfield from Florida now who is – I mean, they're loaded with some NFL talent back there as well, so – they're not, you know, necessarily slouches defensively at the cornerback position, and, and they beat up on them when they needed to. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, you know, over the year this year, up until this point, they've proven the ability to, hey, we need 10 points, we need 7 points, go get it. Um, they've done that. They did it against Auburn. They closed the game out against Clemson that way. Um, quarterback or not, this offense has shown the ability to maintain efficiency while obtaining explosivity. That's really hard to do in college football. Are they doing it at the 50 points per game total that other, you know, historic offenses have done? No. But they're scoring right around 38, 39 points per game, and that's been enough considering what they've got defensively. Brooks Austin, Dogs Daily on SI. Jordan is here on three and out. And, Brooks, I'm going to do what a lot of Georgia fans don't want me to do, and that's that's look ahead. The college football playoff uh, comes out tomorrow. Georgia expected to be number one there. Missouri, Tennessee, Charleston Southern, and Georgia Tech left in the regular season. Given that Florida was like, hey, weird stuff happens in Jacksonville, maybe slight, they took care of business there. Is there any way that Georgia's not in the playoff at this point? Um, No. I mean, barring some type of 30, I mean, they're favored 37 and a half points today, or this weekend, guys, against a 4-4 four and four Missouri football team. That is astronomical. I mean, it makes no sense to me. They will be favored heavily, and I mean heavily, in every single remaining game on their schedule. Um, I will say this, though. Like, for all the people out there that say, hey, what if this Georgia defense has a bad day? The only remaining regular season game that I see where, like, hey, maybe the opposition puts up 21, 28 points. It might be Tennessee. Like, honestly, that's the only offense that looking at it right now is like, yeah, maybe they have a couple of explosives down the field. Maybe they have an opportunity to put up some points. That's it. Outside of that, I don't see a football team remaining on the schedule. Do you think a Week 12 Georgia Tech football team is going to be up and ready to fight 
the number one team in the country? Probably not. I wouldn't think so. Um, Charleston Southern, same thing. Uh, and this Missouri football team seems kind of down in the dumps as well, leaning on a heavy running game. And we kind of know the, the, the rules when it comes to entering a game against Georgia, leaning on the run. Not the move. Yeah. Not at all the game plan. And, Brooks, what, you know, obviously when you think about the character of this team, right, you talk about the fact that Stetson Bennett didn't have his best game, but the game was never in doubt because this defense understands that we're going to put it on our back. They're going to make sure they, those guys go out there and just keep pressure on the opposing offense. This defense has won more than one game uh, for this team, starting with game one against Clemson. When you think about all the great defense that's ever come through Georgia, I mean, obviously you have to wait to see how the season ends to the judge, where they are in the record books. Have you ever seen anything like this, and not just the talent but the staying power? No, I don't, I, don't, I don't even have to wait till the end of the season, Ben. This, this is the best defense I, in my lifetime I've ever seen. And the history books, in terms of modern history stats, modern stats dating back to 1975, there's nobody even close. I mean, nobody even close. The lowest points per game total that has been allowed at the University of Georgia since the stat has been kept, which was 1975 on football reference, nobody's been less than 10.6 points per game, which was 1981. This team's, I think, allowing less than seven or less than six points per game right now defensively. No, it's, it's hands down the best defense you'll, you've ever seen at Georgia. And I'd probably go as far as to say it's the best defense you will ever see at the University of Georgia. They're so deep from top to bottom. Um, and even the question marks, quote-unquote question marks you thought you had coming into the season, well, I don't know. Keely Ringo's playing like, you know, uh, one of the nation's best corners and most talented corners. And Darren Kendrick's playing like a first-round draft pick right now, too, at the cornerback position. Chris Smith getting back finally healthy. Uh, Dan Jackson's been a really good surprise at the safety position. And Lewis Heen is playing like a top-60 pick in the NFL draft coming up as well. So, no, you you haven't seen anything like this. You won't see anything like this. Embrace it, enjoy it, um, and relish in it. And uh, Missouri struggled with Vanderbilt. God bless them against this Georgia team uh, coming up this weekend. Brooks, always a pleasure. We'll talk again soon. Thanks so much. Yeah, gentlemen. Brooks Austin joining us here at Dogs Daily on SI is again Georgia beating Florida. And as he said, Missouri, Tennessee, Charleston Southern, and Georgia Tech the rest of the way. Ben, I don't see a way that they're not in the playoffs. I, I wouldn't even go as far if they win the next four games. It probably doesn't matter what happens in the SEC championship game, and they would still be in the playoffs. And I know people say, well, you got Michigan State and Ohio State. A lot of teams still have to play each other. I think some of that stuff's going to sort itself out. Georgia's taking, you know, I mean, they, they've, they've understand a lot of what goes on up there in Tuscaloosa, uh, Kevin. They say, look, we undefeated in the regular season. You know, it doesn't matter who we play, uh, you, know, uh, you know, in the SEC championship game. I mean, because they won loss, Georgia team, I mean, uh, even if they don't win the SEC championship game, that's the only game they lose. They're going to be in the college football playoff because they, they, meet, they, they check all the boxes. National appeal, check. Uh, powerhouse, check. Been to the national media before, during, and after the season, check. And they've been a usual suspect, uh, even though the, uh, as far as like being recently in, in the recently in the national in a, in the national championship, and being on the outside looking at being that fifth team, which is that you know which is the hardest team to get in, Kevin is that fourth team, not the first team. But yeah, I, I agree with what Austin said. I mean, this this defense, wow. Well, some of the defense you've seen at Georgia, and you've seen some great ones. I've had the privilege of playing against some. I've never seen anything like this. I mean, Georgia's offense. I mean, to their own doing, scored 10 points. Defense led to those other 24 points. So, 
yes, Kevin, they're going to have to have that staying power. But, you know, I'm just saying, I mean, I, I ain't taking nothing away from the Georgia team. If an offense can find a way to put points on the board against that Georgia defense, does that offense have what it takes to win a game for them? It is yet to be seen because you got to first prove you can continuously move the ball against those uh, those uh, those 11 uh, roughhouses out there. Yeah, somebody's got to put points up first before anybody's got to worry about that. We've got more to come here. It's 3 and out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Here on this Monday, Kevin and Ben will get to take three coming up right around the corner. We'll also look at the college football playoff committee, their first poll coming out. Uh, tomorrow night, also the Falcons snatching defeat from the jaws of victory uh, over the weekend uh, as well. And uh, we'll get to Good, Bad, and the Ugly, which we do every single Monday. Igorov Vidak will join us in the final hour talking Braves ahead of Game 6 tomorrow from Houston. So a lot to get to uh, here on the show. But Ben, I had to sound off about this. Uh, Georgia Southern and Georgia State squared off over the weekend, and Georgia State won 21-14. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, it happens. The Sun Belt is a tough conference. Georgia Southern having a tough go. But I have said this from the beginning. When Georgia State came into the Sun Belt, I was like, what is the first way, what is the first thing you need to do to make sure you fit in and, and you belong, right? And give yourself some cred. Create a rivalry. And I don't mean in the Yukon-South Florida situation where it's like, <laughs> hey, we just made a trophy and that's what we're going to play for. Yeah. No, but you get some angst going between the fan bases and you're like, hey, that creates the excitement about, around the game. And I said, if you're Georgia Southern, don't go at Georgia State. It's Georgia State. They just got created out of thin air a few years ago. They don't have a lot of football tradition. In the old you're, Turner Field. Yeah, you're, yep. jo- you're Georgia Southern. You have six national titles. Don't do it. <laughs> don't do it. And... I think after they beat him the first year, it's like, oh, yeah, we're the real GSU. You think you can come here, Georgia State? Do-? Then they lost the next year to Georgia State. And then this year, I'm seeing, you still go back and forth. It's like, Georgia State is not a rivalry. Georgia State is not a rival game. And you lost again. Stop saying stuff like that. You're five, you're three and five against Georgia State mm. since you've played them in the mm. Sun Belt. Three and five. Hard to say someone's not a rival when you can't beat them. Talk. And, 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 and I'm just saying, I, 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 I've said this from the beginning, Georgia State, you created a monster <laughs> where one didn't need to be created. Just let them be. And now they're beating you more than you're beating them. Listen, listen. I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, they woke up them Panthers when they didn't have to, Kevin. And, you know, when you when you are a Georgia State, I mean, they did it the right way. Look, we didn't talk trans to Georgia Southern. Oh, no, no, they did. No, they did. But, I mean, that, that's the right move. If I'm Georgia State and I have no football tradition, I'm going after everybody. Oh, we want a piece of you. We want a piece of you. You stink. I don't care. We want a piece Like, you want to create and that buzzer if, 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 if I'm not mistaken, at some belt media days, Chad Lunsford, and Georgia Southern was right in front of a Georgia State sign. That is true, I, yeah. I don't, now, now, obviously, they did have to change that. And whoever that I, – I, listen, whoever that young intern was, or whoever – I feel bad for you. But it is listen, it is good for football. It's great for the Sun Belt. But if you are Georgia Southern, I don't want to hear that uh, – no, no, no. No, no, no. You you are on the you got, other, you you got to embrace the, yeah, it you now. Are, you are on the losing side of this rivalry. And, you know, this no, the notion of who's – now, let me say something. The real GSU resides in Statesboro. I get that. that we, we ain't doing that. But, Kevin, that, that does make that does make it a lot more intriguing because, hey, going up and down I-16, them Georgia Southern, because the new because these these young Georgia Southern Eagles, they don't know nothing about you know, this rivalry already. They don't lose an end of it. So I get it. Words, listen, listen, listen. Word to the wise. Don't get to talking trash because Georgia Southern no, Georgia State has more to prove than Georgia Southern. But right now, Kevin, uh, Georgia Southern, they're on the losing end of this Does thing. anybody in the ACC run smack at Duke in football? No. 
No, because you don't got need to, to do it. They know they got to play them in basketball. Yeah, I know, but, but you don't need to do it. You didn't need to do it, Georgia Southern, and now you have to embrace that rivalry when you don't want to <laughs> because you go out there saying it's not a rivalry, it's the stepbrother, there's nobody at their stadium. Well, guess what? Nobody at their stadium has beaten you five out of eight times. You better talk about I'm it. I'm just saying. You better talk about it. I mean, and I don't even care who wins. I'm GSU. just saying it's always something from afar that bothered me. It was like, why are you going after Georgia State? You don't need to. And now they're beating you. <laughs> I, I, you did have I, to do it. Now you're getting whooped. Now I don't want to hear, well, you know, no, 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 no. <laughs> Find a way to get it done. We'll come back. We'll take three. We come back here three and out on the Southern Pigskin. Good to have you back here on three and out. Kevin Thomas, Ben Troop, glad you're making us a part of your day. We are streaming live at ESPNCoastal.com, also on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. A lot to get to. We'll look at the, the college football playoff committee, their first poll out uh, tomorrow night. Also, the Falcons. Mm, mm, mm. Falcons, we'll uh, we'll talk about that coming up in just a little bit. Final hour of the show, the good, bad, and ugly from the college football weekend. Ed Garav Vidoc, uh, talking chop will join us. We're talking Braves ahead of game six of the World Series against the Houston Astros coming up a little bit. But first, let's take three here on three and out. All right, Ben. It's an annual tradition. Last night was Halloween. How much candy? How much candy got confiscated due to its suspicious nature last night? Oh, man, Kevin, you take my kids me, came home with some. I, I good will stuff say this. Too. I, I, I mean, no, my, my, no, I, I talked to all my kids. Wasn't able to make it to any of their trick or treat, but I did talk to my, you know, to my youngest, and I was asking them. I said, "Uh, how much candy you got?" She said, "Daddy, my arm was hurting." I said, "You had that much candy?" She says, "And Kevin, the, the game that changed." She said there was a there was a family that was giving out king size. I said king size what? She says king size uh, chocolate bars. I said oh, what kind? Kevin and this is when I know I have to talk to my child. She says Snickers and Twix. She says but I don't like Butterfinger. I said wait what did you say? She said, I don't like Butterfinger. I said let me tell you something. You will not say that to me ever again, and you will go on punishment right now. <laughs> but um, back in the day though, Kevin, I will say when it came to my mom. So my mom was big on y'all ain't eating nothing candy, y'all ain't eating nothing candy. And um, man, we had a big old bag. My mom would pour it all out on the table and she'll say, quote, pick two that you want. What? Two that I, how about I pick the two that I don't want to eat the rest of them? But no, I you know, from what I from what I've seen, you know, with all my nieces and nephews and my children, a lot of it didn't get confiscated because these kids are smart. No, these kids, but I done put some in my pocket or whatever. So I'm gonna be able to get, I'm like, yeah. I'm gonna be checking underneath these uh, underneath these pillows oh, yeah. the next day because I can hear. I said because usually when you get off a pillow, I don't hear no little crinkling of a of a little of a little candy wrapper. So <laughs> maybe Kevin, you know they've gotten smarter than us. You know they they let us think that you know they they think they're good little kids picking a couple, but I think a bunch of them snuck a bunch of their pockets last night. Yeah, mine got a ridiculous amount. They actually came back to the house, dumped their bucket, and went back <laughs> and got a, got a little bit more. I'm like, what in the world's going on? So. No, they had, they had good. And the first thing my older son said to me when he comes back, Dad, nobody's giving out any Butterfingers, so you don't even need to look in my bag. <laughs> I was like, I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. First off, I'm still looking through your bag. Second off, that's not true. It's like in every variety pack out there, people give that stuff out. But yeah, the, the, there was a couple of Reese's cups that looked suspicious last night. I had to take care of, and no, I. I, I, I <laughs> A little loose, but like, wait, 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 give me that, give me that. Uh-uh. I don't like how this rapper looks, son. This is what your daddy does. Like, see, yeah. listen, listen. It's it, a, it's I, I, no, no. I, I got a PhD in Butterfingers, but I got an undergraduate in Reese. Right. I, I can do both. I'm an expert up here, but 
if I got to eat the Reese cup and if it's white chocolate, I've heard they out there too. I mean, that's oh, not yeah. my expertise, but you're like, son, I, that's 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 one of the greatest lines ever. I see a, I saw a Reese cup that looked a little suspicious. <laughs> so I got I to gotta ch- check this out. Yeah, but, I, I'm going to have to take it away. <laughs> but no, they, they had the same thing. Like I, I was looking through their candy bag because, you know, when they got back, it's like, hey, son, go take a shower. So that's when you go searching through their bag uh, to see what you want. But I went in there and there's like, like you said, full size Hershey chocolate bars. They both got the, not the little snack size, but both of them got like a full size M&M bag. I mean, who are these? And I was like, where, 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 where's this coming from? People are like, it's starting to, no, no. Now, now Kevin, why are we on that though? I mean, I know you are a, we are. Yes. Hey, uh. A Butterfinger, we are Butterfinger enthusiasts. I, I love, I love, uh, you know, Mr. Goodbar. It's, you know, when you think of, when you thinking about these candies and what may have you, if you had to pick a second favorite, like you got, you got your Butterfinger. We got, we know our Reese cups. Is there another one? If you see it, you go, okay. Yeah, it's now, gone. Uh, no, I, there's, a, there's a couple that I will, I will get away with because I, one because I know they probably don't like it, and I do like one better than the other one, but I only see it around Halloween and Christmas because they come in the little variety pack candies. And that's the uh, the crackle bars. And they're oh basically and they're they basically beautiful. And they're they basically are... Nestle Crunch bars. All, all, and so all the Nestle in. Crunch and Crackle, but I do like the crackles just a little bit better for whatever reason. But yeah, if there's a Nestle Crunch or a crackle uh, lingering in the side and corners you only, and you only get of those the bag, in those smaller variety packs. I don't know. And and another one is this. I don't know if you are a big uh, M&M person. I like it, yeah. Because you got you got plain, you got the peanut, peanut butter ones are amazing. Yeah, I will. I was about to say, like, listen, there are certain things. Now there aren't too many things that can compete. You can't tell I like peanut butter and chocolate. Cup, but peanut butter, peanut butter M and M's, man, little fat, little chubby little jokers, <laughs> man, they're good too. Oh my god! You can't tell I like peanut butter and chocolate. I mean, what, I mean hey, what, what, else, what else is? It's there? a winning combination. It That's is. all I can say. But uh, no, take one, take two. Uh, ben, what's your confidence level here heading into Game Six with the Braves up three games to two? But Going back to Houston, it's very, very confident, Kevin. Because I'm, 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 I'm looking at these patterns. It's going to be hard to beat the Braves back to back. The Braves, I think, in this series, are the only team to win back to back games. They've never lost back to back games, and this Braves team understands that the respect level has been built for them, and the respect level has been built for their opposing team. They, they respect Houston because I mean, I know we don't want to talk about it, but Houston and the Braves are very, very similar. They both got star power. They both scoring bunches. They both can hurt you. You know, with their pitching staff, but they both got got they both they I mean they they scored they scored these uh these runs and budget. So I think Kevin, I'm very, very confident because they've already won in Houston. They've already they, they kind of know what the crowd is gonna be and they know the stakes are gonna be higher. And look, I, I'm gonna say this. In game five, I'm sorry, no, game four, that catch that Rosario, oh my god, that catch that he had, like, number one, we he let you know he called it when I said, dude, that's a, oh my god, he called it. I just think, Kevin, the Braves are built for the moment, aren't they? Because you've had a lot of guys from Soler, Swanson, and Duval, you know, and Rosario. I, I'm, I'm waiting on the Albies. I'm waiting on the Freddie Free. So I think this has a Freddie Freeman uh, game written all over it. And for me, Kevin, I'm very, very confident. Not because the Braves are putting themselves in this position. I think that they don't got to be a perfect game. I think for them, the, all the pressure is still on Houston. Now, game seven will be totally different. But I think all the pressure is on Houston. And I think that bodes well for a Braves team that seem to play very, very loose. Yeah, and you got two very good. Uh, my confidence level is still very, very high. I, look, you got Max Reed going and Ian Anderson. I feel better about 
finishing it in Game 6, obviously, uh, than, than I would a Game 7. But if it gets to Game 7, I still feel pretty good about what the Braves have uh, in, the, in the pitching staff. Ian Anderson, five no-hit innings. Now, is he going to do that again? No, but if he pitches five or six one-run innings, that might be good enough to get you there and win you win you a World Series. So, uh, look, I, I feel good about where the Braves are at. Freddie Freeman's starting to come around. Austin Riley has not put one out of the yard, but he's had a very good series. Uh, I was talking with Christian earlier. Uh, I believe you've had all but like three guys in that starting lineup have gone yard in this series. I think all but, if I'm not mistaken, Jock Peterson, Ozzy Albies. I'm trying to think back if Austin Riley has. I don't know that he has, but if, everybody if, else, if, 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 if everybody has, else has left the yard at some yeah. point during this series. So you have, uh, as you said, you have home run power uh, throughout the lineup. And again, I, I I feel good about what the Braves are doing going into to Game Six, even though it is in Houston. All right, Ben, moving along to Take Three, college football playoff out tomorrow. We'll go deeper into that in just a little bit. But if Ben has to put his top four out, what is your top four? for tomorrow night. Obviously, Georgia has been the best team in college football all year long, even even taking away, uh, you know, Alabama in one loss against um, against AM. Cincinnati is my number two. Cincinnati is a team that's not being taught about Kevin, not because of how they play, but the conference for which they play in. But they've already got Notre Dame, you know, on their resume, UCF on their resume. They have a very, very impressive resume. Man, I, I, I know Alabama will be my number three. I know Alabama has one loss, but since that loss, they have been playing lights, out. My number four is not going to be what people are going to like. I've, I know Oklahoma's undefeated. I know Wake Forest is undefeated. I know Ohio State only has one loss. I just saw Michigan State, and I like what I saw at Michigan State. So for me, giving the Michigan State Spartans, I think uh, Mel Tucker is doing a hell of a job up there. So you know, just to reiterate, you know, you got you got uh, you got Georgia one, you got Cincinnati two, you got Alabama three, and you got the Spartans from Michigan State. Uh, uh, my number four. Yeah, I think uh, Georgia number one. Uh, that's. If you've watched question, it, I mean, yeah. if you've watched him play, that's I mean, that's it's, it's ludicrous. You can't even make an argument for anybody yeah. else. Yeah. I, you, you just can't. Uh, my number two, I, I, and again, I'm going to be interested to see what the committee does because I would put Oklahoma number two. Okay. I know it's been hairy, and that backup, and that backup QB is a is a sneaky Heisman Trophy. Uh, I, yeah, and, and so tell me what's happened with Oklahoma that hasn't really happened with Georgia. They're they're going through quarterback stuff. And Oklahoma, better, and, better, and, and obviously a better offense, right? Yes. And, and Oklahoma has not missed uh, missed a beat there. So I put Oklahoma two. I will put Cincinnati three, and I think that'll be a gift. I will put them there for me. I don't know that the committee will put them there. And then Michigan State will be number four. You say what? Alabama's not there. Alabama, if they keep winning, is going to get it. <laughs> look, look. This is the first ranking. Yeah. And so I'm oh, putting. Yeah, I'm put, let, I've got let the chaos begin. Like, oh my God, look at what they did. And, and, and here's why. And here's why I put Alabama at number five. Michigan State and Ohio State are going to play each other. Ohio State and Michigan still got to play each other. Yep. I think Michigan State and Penn, Penn State, State still, still got to play, play each, each other. other. Yep. So some of that's going to work itself out. And I believe, again, I said Cincinnati was a gift. They ain't going to be there come the end of the season. And it's, it may not be because they lost. I, I, I've said this and been consistent, Ben. There is not a chance Cincinnati makes the college football playoff. I just do not see it happening. And again, I am a and I'm a guy that says, look, I think they need to change it so that teams get in yeah. when they do something that warrants it. You beat Notre Dame, but I just think if there is a reason to put one loss Alabama in there ahead of them, they're going to do it. If there's a reason to put Michigan State or Ohio State in there ahead of them, they're going to do it. Because at the end of the day, the college football playoff committee is there. It's like we're impartial. 
Yep. We're impartial, all right. But guess what they want to do? That college football playoff is not the NCAA. They do not care about fairness. They care about judging. That's what they want to see. And sorry, you want to see Cincinnati? You want to see Michigan State? And I'm not saying that's Kevin Thomas's take. Yeah. You want to see Cincinnati or Ohio State? That's the same reason Wake Forest can go 13-0. They will not sniff nope. the college football playoff. Nope. Which is why I'm in favor of the expansion. Conference champions. That's so why I've always been I mean, that you way. Gotta, you get, that's a, that's a, that's a, that check got to get broken up a lot of ways. The, yeah, but the, the playoff is not supposed to be about who you <laughs> want to see. The playoff is supposed to be about who earned the right to uh, to get there. And again, I say the same thing. Like, oh, Atlanta, worst record in the playoffs in the World Series. So what? They earned it. They got in. They beat everybody they were supposed to beat to get there. Not my problem. Yeah, and I do agree. I mean, Wake Forest don't got it a is shot. my problem if you won't let me in. Yeah, that's, Wake, that Wake, my for, Wake Forest undefeated. Who cares? Cincinnati got a, got a potential, uh, you know, first round pick. And Desmond Ritter got two bookend cornerbacks. But I, I mean, outside of playing in uh, New Year's Six Bowls, they're not going to play because, like you say, Kevin National Appeal have to check the box. Uh, big time fan base have to check the box. And can you sell tickets? Have to. And, and for that, Wake Forest. Listen, there there are certain the School of Medicine at Georgia got more got more has more students than the enrollment probably at freaking Wake Forest. So I, I, I just think that, yes, I mean, it's a feel-good story, but obviously Cinderella will not find her shoe this time. When you talk about making the college football playoff, it will be it will be those blue bloods. It will be those big names. So Oklahoma's, the Georgia's, the Alabama's. And if somebody can sneak in, it will be a Michigan State. It won't be a Cincinnati. Cincinnati got Coastal Carolina written all over them this year. We've got more to come here. That's take three. We do it every day at this time. We'll come back with more. We'll look at that college football playoff uh, committee and what they might do tomorrow night. It's three and out on the Southern Pigskin. Right here on three and out, Kevin Thomas, Ben Troop. Uh, glad you are with us. Now, Ben, the college football playoff committee will put out their first playoff rankings coming up tomorrow night. I think you and I both agree. And, again, if you've watched one millisecond of college football at all this year, Georgia will be number one. All right? We all know that. that there, there's no drama in that. Now the fun begins. Who's number two? A lot of people say, oh, maybe Cincinnati. Cincinnati's done. And again, if you go by the body of work, maybe that's potentially true. I just, I think it'll be real interesting because, again, to me, the outlier in this is where's Cincinnati and where's a team like Michigan State, who is undefeated at this point. If Michigan State stays undefeated until they play Ohio State and lose that game by a close score, and that's their only loss? How do you parse that against Ohio State losing to Oregon? Does Michigan State get the benefit of the doubt and not drop very far? That'll be interesting. But to me, the biggest intrigue tomorrow is who's after Georgia? Is it Cincinnati? And kind of the Alabama factor of things of how is Alabama getting viewed already with four weeks to go here in the regular season? Kevin, I think it's going to be Cincinnati for what you just said because we got weeks to go, right? You, you Because – Let's face it. The very first one is about it's, it's about controversy. Oh, look who's number two. Look who's number three. Look who's number four. Georgia's going to be number one. Then I think Cincinnati could be number two because, as you mentioned, Kevin, oh, Alabama, Alabama's out because Alabama's going to get a chance to decide their own destiny down here late. I think that uh, uh, do you put an Oklahoma in number three or do you put a Michigan State in number three? This college football playoff, you know, uh, the, fir- the first the first ranking that comes out, Kevin, I think it's just to build interest. It's to get people going, okay, because, you know, I, the number one is the easy one, right? It's always a two, three, and four. Because do you put a one-loss Alabama in the four because it shows that they, they've already lost early because Texas A&M, 
they've been I, I, after the after those back to back losses, they've been pretty good since then. Yeah. Auburn, uh, they still got to play. Uh, you know, obviously they still got the Iron Bowl down the line. The college football playoff committee is always interesting to me because they don't—they're not going to tell us how they vote. They're just going to show us who they voted for. We never know—is it through the schedule? You know, is it how you—is it how you play recently? Is it—is it—is it who you got coming up? Because Michigan State is undefeated. Ohio State has one loss. I think Penn State has two now. Michigan just got beat by – so Michigan is out because they've already got beaten by Michigan State. Oklahoma's still undefeated even though they no longer have Spencer Rattler, uh, you know, at quarterback. Wake Forest is undefeated and no one cares. Like, no one. Wake Forest is undefeated, never been in this position in a long time, and no one cares, Kevin, because they don't have the benefit of having the rest of the ACC kind of be a strength, and you can and you can give that to the, 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 the uh, Clemson's of the world, the NC State's of the world, the North Carolina's, the Miami's of the world, Pitt. <laughs> but just we think Pitt is good. So I, I think that it is going to be Georgia, Cincinnati, Oklahoma, maybe even a, maybe even an Alabama, uh, Ohio State, Michigan State, because – some of these teams still play each other, but it's the intrigue. The first one's supposed to be what? Because Kevin, you well, know. Well, then wouldn't you put Alabama on the outside and say they're going to play them their way in? Because as you said, they have the Iron Bowl, and if Auburn continues to play well, that could be for the right to go to the SEC championship game. So if Alabama wins that, you could say, well, I mean, they just beat a really good Auburn team, and they you know, got to go play Georgia the SEC championship game. And then the discussion turns to, well, if Alabama loses that, are they out? So, I mean, that, that – that to me will be the the intrigue. Is you you leave Alabama out, knowing good and well that at some point they're going to find their way back in there. Yes, but, and 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 Kevin, you know this. The wild card is always going to be Alabama. Like when it comes to the college football playoff, it's always Alabama. It's not Clemson. It's not Georgia. It's not Oklahoma. It's not Ohio State. It's Alabama. It's where because Alabama get to write their own ticket now. Georgia's have to keep. You know, Georgia's going to be number one. That number two, I don't see why it shouldn't be Cincinnati because. Why not put Cincinnati in number two? Because I don't know who they got left on their schedule. They don't get the benefit of having, quote, big games down the stretch to and help that's why them keep their slide, position. Yeah. yeah, so they'll they'll probably get pushed down. But do you do you do you go with all undefeated teams in the top four? Do you go do you go Georgia? Do you go Cincinnati? Uh, do you go uh, Oklahoma and Michigan State? Or do you do you start putting a one loss? Because this this is what people they talk about too. Oregon only has one loss. Uh, you know, Ohio State lost to Oregon only has one loss. Uh, Alabama is the best one-loss team because they're Alabama, not because they lost to Texas A&M, but Texas A&M and Auburn and Ole Miss and Georgia, you know, because right now, you know, the SEC is looking good at the conference because you're going to have, what, what, four, maybe five teams in the top 15 with most of those teams, not named Georgia, coming from the SEC West. So Alabama is sitting pretty because Auburn is 62. I think Ole Miss has lost two games. I think Texas A&M has lost two games, all going to be in the top 15. But, yes, Kevin, I am interested to see because people are afraid of death of Nick Saban. Oh, my God, we put Nick Saban in Alabama at number five. Well, they still going to have a chance to get in. But shout-out to Michigan State, who probably should be in that top four. Cincinnati. So my top four, I mean, I know we just went about – I mean, it should be Georgia, uh, Cincinnati, uh, Michigan State, and maybe even you know uh, maybe like uh, maybe like an Oklahoma Kevin because like I said these other teams get a shot to play their way in. Yeah, Cincinnati's big win today, obviously beating Notre Dame by a couple of scores. They beat uh, South Florida pretty bad. I mean Central Florida, Central Florida, not what Central Florida has been in in years past. They've got Tulsa, South Florida, uh, SMU. They really did not need the kickoff to be returned against SMU last week. Uh, on Saturday, uh, SMU was undefeated going into last week's game. They may fall out of the top 25. And then you have uh, East Carolina uh, to finish up the season. So, as you said, you really don't have a lot of great 
Uh, resume boosters coming down the stretch, but you can't afford a loss. And I think it will not be so much as what Cincinnati's doing. It'll be what everybody else around them is doing. And uh, again, that's always been kind of my my problem with with the playoff is we we're, we're kicking guys out because we don't think they're as good. Well, the 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 job is to not think who's very good. The job is to let's go find out who's good, right? Based on what they've done, and if Cincinnati gets in. Uh, if they're that bad, well, well, they'll get beat 56 to nothing, I guess. I mean, but, but I, I think, again, in a 12-team playoff, uh, Cincinnati would be in. I think that would be great intrigue as to who they would get matched up. But I'm interested to see where Cincinnati is. I don't think they're going to get in, even if they went out, largely because the justification will be, well, Alabama beat Auburn uh, in the Iron Bowl. They get to move up. Michigan State and Ohio State are going to play each other. That's a big matchup. Oklahoma uh, and Oklahoma State, who's still uh, having a solid season, will get to play each other. So I think there's some opportunities there for those other teams to kind of solidify themselves and more reason to move Cincinnati out. But I do think, the more I think about it, Ben, I think if you really go for that controversy angle, and I, I I think Oklahoma would be three. Michigan State would be four. And I don't think that's a controversial pick as much as it would just be like, wow, Michigan State's there and Alabama isn't. And I, I think that might be how it goes. Uh, again, we gave our our four last segment, but I think what it could be is Georgia one. I think Cincinnati will be not two because it's easier to move them down a couple of spots yeah. as the season goes on. So it'll be Cincinnati, it'll be, uh, Georgia, probably Oklahoma. Cincinnati, Michigan State, and then you got the Ohio States and Alabamas right there on the outside looking in. Everybody's going, but, 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 don't worry. If they do what they're supposed to do, they'll find their way back in there. So uh, I, I think that's where your intrigue comes in the first week of the poll. And we'll, we'll see what they say when it, when it comes out tomorrow night. But uh, I, I, again, like you said, part of it is a little bit of intrigue in the first week and knowing that it's probably going to change uh, before people get all outraged at the end of the day. Kevin, you know, you know when it comes to the college football playoff, they, let's not act like these people don't have egos as well. They want everybody talking about them. I mean, we have to wait. I mean, think about the AP poll, the coaches poll. They get, they get to have they, they shine before the season, during the season, after the season. The college football playoff. I mean, how, who's going to be the one to get the oohs and the eyes? And right now, it's going to be Alabama, and Cincinnati. If Cincinnati's at two. People going to be thinking, "Hey, man, how y'all going to justify them getting pushed down?" But Kevin, I do agree they'll be around the three or the four era. Alabama controls everything. You either got to beat them to, to win it all or beat them to get in. So we will see what happens. But, yes, the first poll is usually the most controversial, Kevin, because now you're finna see if you have a legitimate shot to be the last team standing. If you are nowhere near six or seven, you have no shot at being part of the Final Four unless Georgia does something catastrophic these last four games of the season. Yeah, we've got more to come here on 3 and Out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Hit us up on Twitter at Pigskin Radio, streaming live at ESPNCoastal.com. Falcons lose to Carolina over the weekend, Ben. And just another just poor performance. I guess that might be putting it mildly uh, there for the Atlanta Falcons. 19-13, to they lose. This is after the Panthers fumble on the first play of the game. Uh, and Atlanta picks up the ball on the 26-yard line of Carolina, gets just three points out of it, and they go on to lose, and 213 total yards for the Atlanta Falcons. Two picks, uh, sacked Matt Ryan three times, and the Falcons defense comes up with one fumble, no interceptions, and no sacks. So uh, really not a great day by the defense. Uh, at all for Atlanta. How disappointing is that to a Carolina team that was obviously not at full strength and you don't get the job done? It just shows how far this Atlanta team has to go. I mean, you can't put two good games together. You think about 
an Atlanta team that shows a lot of promise. And listen, they are led by their offense. Cordell Patterson is a do with everything. Uh, receiver slash uh, running back. I mean, a guy that has to go out there and make plays. Calvin Ridley, a guy that stepped away from the team. Kevin, uh, if we able to get to it, you know, to deal with yep. his mental health. Uh, Kyle Pitts. I mean, over what was set the franchise record for most uh, test, most receiving yards for a tight end in Atlanta uh, franchise history in a single game. Only two catches on Sunday. It's you know the thing about Maddie Ice is we don't give him enough credit for it. since he's been on the team. Kevin, it's if he don't play well, the team don't play well. Like if he don't go out there and just give you three hundred. What, 50 yards pass and four touchdowns, no picks, and keeps the offense, you know, uh, afloat. They can't win games. You cannot count on this defense to give you anything worthy uh, and anything any, anything consistent. So I, I just think that this Atlanta team is still trying to figure out how to win. And, Kevin, it goes back to what we said in the preseason. The team, the, This offense never played in the preseason. This offense is still trying to figure out who it is. Mike Davis can't even get as many carries or as much production as Cordell Patterson running the football. So I think both had nine carries in there. I think we're separated by maybe twelve or thirteen yards. Mike Davis did have a little bit, but by and large, you're right. But it's, it's been it's been Cordell Patterson outperforming Mike Davis. Yeah, and look, I don't know if that's by design. I, I mean, obviously, I'm not in practice. I heard a lot of great things coming out of training camp about Mike Davis, but this 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 Atlanta team as a whole has to figure out how to play consistent football in all three phases. Man, you show spurts. There are times in the game that they look really, really good, but there's too many times in the game that look really, really bad. You you got to find a way to, you know, to be consistent, you know, from from uh, first quarter, second quarter, have time adjustment, come out and try to, you know, finish the game, put the team away in the fourth quarter. This is the Atlanta team that's still uh, trying to figure out how to be a playoff caliber team in a, in, a, in a very, very competitive division. Carolina should not have beaten the Falcons, point blank, period, but they did do it. I and mean, give Matt Rule a – you know, uh, you know, a lot of credit, Kevin. I mean, people are thinking that maybe he got a too big of a contract coming, you know, out of Baylor, but finding a way to get it down, his team seems to be playing good football for him. Yeah, and again, for the Falcons, he said, disappointing, uh, Kyle Pitts, only two catches, six targets, and only two catches uh, on the ball game. And as you said, this is an Atlanta team that inexplicably went from a team with good offense and no defense to a team that struggles on offense week in and week out. And, again, I, I, at this stage of the season, Ben, it, you've had seven games in an off week. I'm not going to make the excuse that guys sitting out the preseason is that big of a difference But at, at this point. But at some point, a new head coach with a new way of doing things, I, I mean, I think you got to ask, why weren't, why weren't they playing just to try to develop that cohesiveness at game speed versus somebody else with everybody watching? Uh, and it just seems like this offense at times can't get out of its own way, and, and it can't all just be, well, the offensive line isn't good. Well, I mean, at some point, the whole offense has to wear it. I mean, Matt Ryan uh, yesterday, Ben, was uh, 20 completions. 20 completions. Sounds like a pretty good day, 146 yards. Uh, like, uh, that, that's not going to get it done. If you're going to 20, 20 completions, you want 225, 250. You want uh, some, some big stuff happening. Uh, in the passing game, and you bear, you didn't even get to 150. So I look at this Falcons team, and it's rough, and now you, you throw in the, the Calvin Ridley stuff on top of it, uh, Ben, and it's a, a tough situation for uh, the Atlanta Falcons. And, again, I know uh, Calvin Ridley said, look, i got to step away. I've got some, uh, some mental stuff I'm dealing with, and that's going to be that. So if you're the Falcons, I mean, that's a, that's a no win because you can't really go out and say, well, we expect him back in two weeks. I mean, you may want that to be the case, but uh, in in today's day and age where you're talking about mental health, it's pretty much, I'm out for my mental health. When are you coming back? I don't know. So, I mean, I, so now you're looking at a situation where 
you could go the rest of the way maybe without Calvin Ridley. Who knows? And you're already an offense that doesn't perform at a high level consistently, and now you lost one of your best uh, pass catchers. Yeah, listen, obviously I'm rooting for Calvin Ridley. I understand in today's age, Kevin, I mean, mental health is really, really huge in all levels of sports, definitely in life, and I respect it. I mean, we never ever know what a player is dealing with, it, and you know – and not just in football, in life. If my head isn't in what I'm doing, it's going to be hard for me to go out there and perform, especially when you talk about the highest level of sports. So I salute and respect Calvin really and what he's doing. And he even said, look, man, I would love to be out there with my teammates. Man, my head just isn't in it. But, Kevin, it's going to be hard to replace his leadership. It's definitely going to be hard to replace his production because now if he's not the number one, that means the team can focus more on Kyle Pitts. And as you can see, that rookie is not ready to deal with inside-out coverage. That takes that takes years to develop as far as, like, getting open where guys are playing you inside and out. but if Kyle Pitts isn't there, and Justin Gage really is getting it done, and Cordell Patterson is getting the getting the uh, you know getting the uh, you know the lion's share of the workload as far as like catching the football and running the football, dare I say it is going to be an even longer year for these Atlanta Falcons. Yeah, I mean nobody scares you now, right? I mean if you could just watch Kyle Pitts, and is Hayden Hurst going to beat us? Is Zacchaeus going to beat us? Uh, they had a a, a young man with uh, Tajay Sharp, who played at UMass. That was your leading receiver yesterday, uh, Ben. Again, you don't have anybody that's kind of making you game plan for him on that Falcons offense other than Matt Ryan. And you're saying, well, we can limit who Matt Ryan's able to get the ball to. That works in our favor uh, in a big way. So uh, you've gone from an offense that I think was pretty scary and dangerous to one that I I don't think is uh, at, at all. And, uh, again, a lot of your guys you counted on to be playmakers aren't uh, at, at this point. Uh, Mike Davis, average to below average, and that average might be being nice uh, at this point in terms of number one running back production from a head coach that wants to run the football, Ben. Right? I mean, you, you, you struggle to get 80 yards most games from a head coach who wants to run the football. It's going, it's going to be it's going to be rough, Kevin, because you know that it's going to have to come through offense. While this, while this defense shows, shows some life, Mike Davis has to be the bell cow. Cordell Patterson. I mean, I got to look at his usage rate. This dude got to be dealing – he got to be, uh, what, trying to get electrolytes in him after the game <laughs> and all kind of stuff because he's missing everything. I mean, so I just think that when you got a very, very young offense with a bunch of veteran guys that's supposed to be contributors without Calvin Ridley and, and your best receiver is arguably a rookie, it's going to be a long season for a retooled offensive line and a defensive line that can't get consistent pressure. Too many too many guys playing good football in spurs, not enough guys playing good football in unison. We'll see what happens. But, Kevin, you know, just like I know, Arthur Smith no longer has Derrick Henry. You have, you have number 84. Running the football, looking good when he can, but he's also out there catching the catching the football as well. We'll see, but as you can see, Kevin, the Saints beat uh, the Tampa Bay, and Carolina just beat Atlanta. So it's going to be a very competitive division with Atlanta staring at you know finishing last in it once again this year. Yeah, I mean, and again, it's a, you just look at it, and again, I think you start looking again. I'm not saying coach on the hot seat. We're not even one season in, but you, I, I do think it's fair to question Arthur Smith and say, look. Why didn't more of these guys play in a preseason? Why haven't we been able to come up with a a game plan? I'm not saying you should win every game, but why haven't we been able to come up with a game plan that allows you to be more effective offensively? Uh, and, and again, you look at the points per game uh, for Atlanta. It's it's come way down from uh, the heydays of Matt Ryan, Julio Jones, and those guys throwing the ball. And what can you do to make this offense go? You're, you're relying on a wide receiver slash athlete to be your running back, your feature back uh, at this point. What what else? And Mike Davis was the guy that Arthur Smith been advocated for, right? He's like, Mike Davis is my guy. 
That's the guy I wanted here running the football, and he has yet to really fill that feature back role. So I'm, 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 I think it's fair to at least ask questions of Arthur Smith and say, look, what can we do? What are we not doing to maximize our offense? Because you do have weapons, but each week it seems like it's just a struggle to put points on the board. It is, Kevin. And the thing about Arthur Smith is, I mean, let's face it, he, we don't know. We didn't know how good of a play caller he was because you did have Derrick Henry, you did have AJ Brown, you know, you did have Jonu Smith. You did. You had a two thousand yard rusher and a thousand yard receiver and a and a and a, and a tight end that was definitely top fifteen in the league. And right now, you have a rookie who, while he had one hundred and sixty yards, his only touchdown in the NFL was overseas in London. So all I'm going to say is you're going to have to go out there and game plan. Calling plays is an art, and just because you've been able to do it with a team that had a 250-pound running back, you no longer have that. you got a 230-pound receiver, but he's at running back. Mike Davis is supposed to be your bell cow and Matty Ice. Something we talked about, Kevin. I mean, he got he's at more than twilight of his career, not at the highlight of his career at this point. It's gonna it's they can still they still got time to find ways to get it going, but not having Calvin really in that offense is definitely gonna hurt everybody because he opens up the field and stretches the field uh, better than anybody on that offense right now. Uh, certainly does. We've got more to come here. Three and out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Three and out of the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Kevin Thomas, he has been troop, and uh, Ben was talking during the break. Uh, we're talking about, about Matt Ryan and just you look at the NFL in general with uh, injuries, Russell Wilson, and like how many teams truly have a, quote, franchise quarterback, Ben, uh, when you're sitting there talking about, oh, he's the franchise quarterback. And uh, you kind of walk through a little exercise there. You're like, it's not as many franchise quarterbacks as you think there are in the NFL. It's not. It's not, Kevin. And, you know, when, when I think about franchise quarterbacks, I'm thinking about a guy that's even won MVP, has took you, take you to a Super Bowl, or really just elevates your team. Lamar Jackson, Tom Brady, Russell Wilson, Matt Ryan, Aaron Rodgers, Kyler Murray, Justin Herbert, Pat Mahomes, Matthew Stafford, Joe Burrow, Dak Prescott, Josh Allen, David Carr. Now, these are the people I didn't mention. Teddy Bridgewater, Tyrod Taylor, Ryan, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Jameis Winston, Jared Goff, Carson Wentz, Baker Mayfield, Tua, Tua Tagovailoa, Kirk, Kirk Cousins, Daniel Jones, Ryan, Ryan Tannehill, Jimmy Garoppolo, Jalen Hurst, Sam Donald, then you got the rookies. Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, Matt Jones. I just mentioned 19 teams that do not have franchise quarterbacks. So when you start asking, hey, man, what, what, what are the similarities of good teams? Good quarterbacks, Lamar Jackson, Ravens, good team. Tom Brady, Bucks, good team. Russell Wilson, even though he's, he's here right now, Geno, Geno Smith doing his best. Matt Ryan, well, <laughs> Matt Ryan might be the, Matt Ryan might be the outlier, outlier on this list. Aaron Rodgers, Kyler Murray, Justin Herbert. Pat Mahomes. Now, Matthew Stafford gets Sean McVay, and he just got a new a new, uh, new freaking uh, teammate today, Von Miller, to go along yeah. with Jalen Ramsey, you know, and that dude, Aaron, you know, uh, Aaron Donald. Joe Burrow, Dak Prescott, Josh Allen, David Carr. What, what I'm trying to say is, Kevin, we be thinking that, you know, these teams aren't good. you got to have a good quarterback. But then you want to have an elite quarterback, not just a good one. So when you start asking why the Sam Howells and the Spencer Rattlers and the Desmond Ritters, you know, and these guys – are always looked upon to be first-round picks because they're going to come into a franchise that's bad. I just gave you 19, with, and I love you, Matty Ice. I'm just giving Matty Ice because Matty Ice fit both. He's a regular season MVP. Obviously, he's, he's a Super Bowl uh, participant, not a Super Bowl winner, and he's been a franchise guy since he's been there. Kevin, we started talking about quarterback play. Show me a bad team. I'll probably show you a bad quarterback. Now, that's not always the case, but when you start thinking about these teams and why they're not playing well, Ryan Tannehill, why was he on Why was he on that when he got a uh, – when he, you know, when he, he's been a, you know, a playoff uh, – a consistent playoff participant every year? Derrick Henry. 
AJ Brown. It just, just and who just got hurt? Derrick Henry. For the rest of the season, they just got Adrian Peterson. So I just think that when people get to talking about why the quarterback position is so incredible, because you got a great quarterback, you got a shot to be really, really good. I mean, if if AJ Green understands this is a pass play being thrown to him and not a run play, Kyler Murray and those guys will be undefeated right now. Aaron Rodgers is coming off an MVP season. Uh, Tom Brady, he just he's coming off a Super Bowl winning season. Russell Wilson is trying to win, trying to get his first ever MVP. Lamar Jackson, I mean, I know every time he loses, people think he's the worst. Second year in the league, already already had an MVP season and won. Uh, you know, uh, you know, play his first playoff game last year. You know who's now on this list? Baker Mayfield, because Kyler Murray and Lamar Jackson, all these guys got drafted behind him are outplaying him. And I and and I know people are gonna say Jared Goff. What about him? Jalen Hurts. What about him? Josh Allen is a is a uh, is a uh, MVP candidate. So I think if your if your quarterback isn't top ten, uh, Kevin, as far as like elite play, it's going to be a long season because a bunch of yards means nothing, wins means everything, and you need a quarterback that can get you in that win column. Yeah. Again, uh, again, I think the quest, as you said, nineteen. I know you were counting some rookies in there. Yeah. Because I think people if you think take maybe the rookies out, I think it's I think it's fourteen teams. So if you take the rookies so out, virtually half the league is still hunting for a, a franchise quarterback, uh, which is, again, as a lot of teams saying, ah, we may or may not be sure. And you get a lot of those guys, as you said, that are jumping teams, retreading here and there, uh, trying to stay in the league. Interesting thought there. Uh, and, again, you said Matt Ryan. And, this again, this is always discussion around Matt Ryan. Is he elite? And this is a discussion the Falcons had before they decided Matt Ryan or Julio Jones. How far is Matt Ryan away from being a jag? Now, I don't mean a Jacksonville Jaguar. If you listen to the show, you know Ben says a Jag is just another guy. <laughs> I mean, how far off is Matt Ryan from being just another quarterback uh, in the league versus a guy that can take you where you want to go? He, he's, not, he's not far. And, and, and Kevin, that, that's because of how long he's play, played and not really how he's playing. He's giving you all he's got. What? How many drafts have, have, we, have we seen come and go? What, 13, 14 now with Matty Ice? So that's a lot of guys. Uh, Matt Schaub with his replacement, his backup, what? For about five years. Now I think it's back up now. Uh, it's what um, – Felipe's one of them. Felipe's I, one. I can't think of the other the kid out of – I'm just having a brain fart right now out of UCLA. But I'm, I'm, I, Josh Rosen. Josh Rosen. And Josh Rosen, he's trying to be on the Ryan Fitzpatrick. And not because of elite play. I'm trying to play on all 32 teams <laughs> at this point. But, no, I just think that for me, Matty Ice is a jag. Not because he's not, he's not elite anymore. It's because his best years are behind him, Kevin. He's giving you all he's got. They gave – you know, he they you know they gave him a weapon in Kyle Pitts, but that was hoping that Calvin Ridley, Justin Gage, and Hayden Hurst was going to be there, not Cordell Patterson leading the team in receiving yards and rushing yards at this point. So we'll see what happens with Matty Ice, but Matty Ice going to give you all he got. Has an MVP on his resume, something that Drew Brees never did, by the way. For those of you who don't know, Drew Brees never had a regular season MVP, but one thing Drew Brees does have is a Super Bowl championship. I don't think Matty Ice is going to sniff the playoffs, not even the Super Bowl right now, Kevin, but yes. He's still about a year away from being a Jag because I think he's giving you all he had. But I think Matty Ice's replacement is uh is either in this year's draft, definitely in next year's draft. And you said 14, counting not counting the rookies. And, again, some of those will fall into that category of not franchise quarterbacks. You're just trying to let it play out and see. I mean, is Trevor Lawrence a franchise quarterback? We'll have to, I mean, you have to wait and see. He's on a bad team uh, that's looking for some talent. So I, I think there's a couple of guys. But it is interesting when you talk about, we're looking for the franchise quarterback. Well, there's only a handful of uh, teams relatively – that have the the lockdown, we feel good about this guy regardless, franchise quarterback in the National Football League, and it's more like a third of the league feels good about it, and the rest of them are hunting around trying to figure out what's going on. 
Yeah, Kevin, I think at the end of the day, you know, we'll see what happens with Matty Ice. But, yes, Matty Ice, you will never be a jag in my eyes, but you will be a jag in real life coming up here real soon. <laughs> is that going to be – again, is that an offensive thing? It's like, hey, you're it's, a jag. It's not. It's not. I mean, Kevin, think about this. Sometimes we look at the word has been the wrong way. Has been mean at one point you was that guy. But outside of Tom Brady, outside of Cal Ripken Jr., outside of LeBron, part of the time it's going to catch you. And when he catches you, he's going to jump on your back. He's going to jump on your back, and you ain't going to be able to move. So, for Matty Ice, too many hits, too many, too many head coaches, too many offensive coordinators. I mean, you know, Kyle Shanahan. Listen, I know they make you, give you a lot of money out there in San Fran, man, but come on. Come on back to the ATL, homie, man. We, 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 miss, you in the, we miss you in Flowery Branch because him and Matty Ice were a match made in heaven. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, when they give you six mil a year, he got to move on to green yeah, pastures. That, that was, that's, that's tough to walk away from. We got more to come here on a three. Now we'll get to the good, the bad, the ugly from the college football weekend. Gaurav Vidak will talk Braves ahead of game six with us here on the show as well. It's three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Welcome back. Hour number three. Kevin Thomas, Ben Troop here with you. A lot to get to. Uh, coming up this hour, we'll hear from uh, Brooks Austin. Also, Gurav Vidak will join us from Talking Chop. We'll talk Braves ahead of Game 6 and 7 in the World Series, which uh, Game 6 coming up tomorrow night there in Houston. So he'll join us in just a little bit. But, Ben, we do it every Monday on the show. A little good, bad, and the ugly from the college football weekend. Let's start out, obviously, with the good. Ooh, man. For me, I'm going to go with Michigan State, Kevin. I, I think I think sometimes we get so caught up in, you know, uh, well, I'm going to go Michigan, Michigan State, the game first. I'm going to go with the quarterback second with, the, you know, had a quarterback duel. But I'm going to go with Michigan State and Mel Tucker. We obviously, you know, we you know the SEC and ACC is near and dead our hearts, and we don't really uh, take part in, you know, I like, I like to watch exciting football. And when I think Big Ten, I think, you know, t- I take I, I go I go to the garage, I go get the paint, I dip the paint in the, I dip, I dip the brush in the paint. I paint on the wall, and I watch it dry. That is usually Big Ten football. Very, very bland. Nothing really to it. It's like you know, food with no seasoning. You can eat it, but it's gonna hurt your throat. I'm just saying because ain't no, ain't no seasoning to it. But Kevin, I was very, very surprised. Mel Tucker. I mean, I had a cup of coffee at uh Colorado. People thought, okay, why is he, you know, why is he moving on to, uh, to Michigan State? But been very, very good and got those boys. Did I say with the college football playoff coming out tonight, they might find themselves in the top four. So give me. Michigan, Michigan State first with the good, with the quarterback second, and obviously Michigan State coming out with the dub. Yeah, that was a, uh, a wonderful game. I would say my good is probably could have been used every uh, week on the show, but the good is the Georgia defense. Uh, I, again, I've been back and forth kind of first half. Teams trying to struggle to, to find their foothold in that Georgia-Florida game, and then within two minutes and 16 seconds, Georgia had scored three times, most of that, Directly because of the Georgia defense. Got the fumble strip by Nolan Smith. I uh, got the interception, I think again by Nolan Smith. Uh, and then you had another interception uh, by Nicobe Dean there before the half. Unbelievable uh, defensive performance. Florida got nothing. I mean, they got a touchdown late off of a Stetson Bennett uh, you know, interception that they then converted into points. But that Georgia defense stifling in every sense of the word. And they continue to play like one of the best units we've seen in a long, long time. I don't know how you're going to score on them uh, when it comes down to it, uh, if anybody's going to do it. All right, what about the bad? Georgia Southern. 
for everything we talked about in the first hour, Kevin. I mean, Georgia Southern and Georgia State has become a rivalry. Most people don't know about it. Obviously, we understand about it. You know, I-16, man, up and down I-16, who's the real GSU? Georgia State had to start the rivalry, Kevin, with Georgia Southern. Ain't even have to entertain that nonsense. And in the last eight games, I mean, Georgia State has found himself on the winning end of this thing, being winning five out of the last eight. So, for me, it's Georgia Southern. Not because Georgia Southern isn't a good enough team to go out there and beat Georgia State, but you are losing in this rivalry. So, I'll, listen, Coach Lawson, who's no longer with the team, I think he did a hell of a job when he was there, had to sit in front of a Georgia State banner at Sunbelt Media Days. But for me, Kevin, it is Georgia Southern because, you know, just like I know, Kevin, sometimes you need to just leave it alone because when you don't find yourself on the winning end of it, it makes Georgia State and recruiting look much better than you right now. So, listen, I, I, and I can say this, if you're a country boy, you, you go to you go in Statesboro, you're a city boy, you go to Atlanta. But right now, them Georgia, them Georgia State boys who was in that old turn of field is finding a way to be on the right side of it. So give me them Georgia Southern boys just making this rivalry look so much more lopsided as the years go on. Uh, the bad, I'm going to go with ACC. I, I, and again, we joke, Ben, the ACC out ACC'd itself. Again, Pitt playing well. You're like, oh, man, I don't know if you saw the last couple of minutes of that game with, uh, with, with Miami. So Miami completes a pass, I believe on third down. They would have had to punt the football. Uh, and they throw it to a tight end. He goes across the first down marker. The ball is stripped, and it go, fumbles backwards, and the ball goes out of bounds almost exactly at the first, bound, first down sticks. So they had a review for like 15 minutes. They pull the chains, and Miami makes it. First down, game over. Uh, and then, so there you go. Pitt, a team that was looking to be a one-loss uh, potential team, loses again. Uh, that leaves you with Wake Forest and nobody else. Uh, Wake Forest did dominate, but again, Clemson and Florida State was kind of a back-and-forth ugly ordeal uh, in, in that game. So, yeah, the ACC, bad, bad again uh, over the weekend where you just had a chance. I think Virginia played BYU, and they gave, I mean, it was like, Six, seven hundred total yards of offense in the first half. They hit the over in the first half of that football game. And I think BYU ended up winning. I think they scored like 60 points and Virginia had over 40. It was unbelievable. Virginia loses the game. So bad on the ACC. All right. What about the ugly? The ugly for me, I'm going to go to the NFL today, Kevin. I'm going to go to Carson Wentz. Okay. Carson Wentz, as we remember, you know, came out and you know came out of what I think it was a South Dakota State number number two overall pick was that was was a hot, was a uh, was a uh, MVP candidate. He tore up his knee, won a Super Bowl uh, with the with the uh, you know uh, with the, with the Eagles, Kevin. But it was Nick Foles, not him. Move size size a big deal. Second year, two years within that deal, he gets traded. Pennsylvania is headed to Indy. People go, oh man, what does what does he do when he first gets there? He's hurt, makes the first couple of games of the season. He's already dealing with injuries. But then it was Saturday. They're coming out of their end zone. They run a tight end screen. This is the rule with the screen. You have two rules. If the screen is sniffed out, you throw the ball in the dirt. If he's wide open, you throw it to him. That's it. That's the only two rules. That, that is it. If they sniff it out, you throw the ball in the dirt because you don't want they, – they, 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 you know, they saw what you was doing. And if it's not there, if it's not there, throw it in the dirt. And if it is there, give him the bribe. That's not, that's not what Car – Carson made up a rule. Carson is right-handed. <sighs> the Titans sniffed it out. He's getting ready to get sacked. So what does he do? He's ambidextrous, or whatever you call it, <laughs> ambidextrous, whatever you call it. He switches to his left hand, tries to throw the ball. The ball gets tipped and picked for a pick six. <coughs> but that's not enough. 
Because he got he got a Kevin, he got a mulligan. They go down the field, they score up a seconds left, they go to overtime. This time, with his right hand, he throws another pick. And the Titans go down with a short field, kick the field, go game over 34-31. All I'm saying is, Mr. Wentz, you might not be the player. I know you got Dan Orlovsky and all these people on network television going to bat for you. I don't care. The eye in the sky don't lie. You can't even throw it with your right hand. What the hell you throwing it with your left <laughs> hand for? So for me, the ugly is Carson Wentz. Because Kevin, because he makes a lot of money, he's going to be the starter no matter what. Because if, if, if there was ever a benchable uh, you know, uh, excuse this, this, you know, a play this weekend. It was Carson Wentz. Just, I, I'm going to show it to you uh, in the break. It is awful. So for me, give me Carson Wentz. It is ugly. My ugly Kentucky football uh, again. <laughs> no, I'm saying, but they've yeah, been yeah. they've been so good here in in 2021. Uh, their one loss was to Georgia, and you're sitting there thinking, hey, Kentucky might be making a case for a New Year's Six game. Saying, look. Our only losses to Georgia, that's probably not good enough to get us into a college football playoff discussion. And then you go to Mississippi State, and you turn the ball over four times. You have 216 yards of offense against Mississippi State, and Mississippi State holds the ball, a team that is known for passing and throwing short passes and not necessarily caring about ball control. You let Mississippi State hold the ball. For 41 minutes. <laughs> 41 minutes, and you lose 31-17. to 17. Kentucky football, you are this week's ugly uh, from, from Kevin Thomas. Because, again, I, I just want to say, I get excited when teams like Kentucky and Wake have seasons like this because they put it together and they have a chance to make something uh, make something happen. And then you go and lay a stinker like that against a 4-3 and three Mississippi State team uh, who, again, clock control, not something – that Mike Leach is known for 41 minutes. They held the football against Kentucky. Kentucky had the ball for 18 and they lose. <laughs> and now you're a two loss team and you still got to play Tennessee. Who's historically <laughs> yep. had their, had your number again. I'm not saying Tennessee is back or whatever, but they've historically had Kentucky's number and you got to play Tennessee this week with their up-tempo offense and all that. It could Turn sour for uh, for Kentucky relatively quickly there in the in the SEC. I mean, Kevin, you want to you want to you know we're talking talking about Coach Stoops and saying he's doing you know incredible job at Kentucky, which he has. And then you know people are oh man they beat uh they beat Florida man they coming in on the, they beat uh you know they coming in they coming in undefeated beat Mizzou and all these different things. Yeah. Then they get the hell beat out of them by Georgia, <laughs> which everybody does, which everybody does. But Mississippi State, Kevin, I mean it's always let's face it, Mississippi State is fighting to get the six wins, uh, trying to be like maybe the third or fourth team in the SEC West and trying to win the Egg Bowl. Now they're beating thirty-one seventeen against the Kentucky team that everybody thought was on the rise. So yes, Kentucky, you are you are the ugly this week, and Carson Wentz, you ain't far from it because you ugly as hell too. So don't get don't get it twisted. But yes, Kentucky find a way to get. Well, Kevin is getting close to the basketball season, and we all know Kentucky. It's a basketball school. John Calipari is going to have the number one recruit in, in uh, you know, the, the McDonald's All-American. He's going he's gonna, to uh, be a one and done, and they're not going to make the tournament this year. And then I was going to add a, 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 just one more quick category. They're just plain sad, and that's Vanderbilt. You had your quarterback <laughs> throw for 122. Your quarterback ran for 152 yards on 14 carries, and you still lose. 19 games in a row in the SEC, largely because – well, Missouri had a running back. And we, and we, don't, and we don't make excuses at Vanderbilt. Oh, they, said. Uh, they better start because <laughs> it was bad. Tyler Batty, uh, 
254 yards on the ground, and Connor Basilak, 218 yards throwing. Uh, Vanderbilt, 19 straight SEC losses. That's just sad. Listen, <laughs> Ar- Ar- Arkansas sent Vanderbilt uh, a, a, a tweet. It said, wow. I'm just saying. <laughs> We've got more to come here on 3 and out. We'll talk with Gurav Vidak ahead of Game 6 tomorrow night uh, for the Braves in Houston. And we'll look at how the Braves got to this point. And if you're going to question Brian Snicker, Games 4 and 5 pitched two guys. One is first ever Major League start. Another who hadn't pitched in the big leagues since June Why'd you do that? We'll get uh, Gurov's thoughts on that when we return here on 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. 3 and Out, Kevin Thomas, Ben Troop. Thanks for making us a part of your day. Braves lose a tough one last night uh, in game number five of the World Series. But, hey, just need to win one more and a championship coming to Atlanta. Gurov Vidak uh, joins us here from Talking Chop. Uh, Gurov, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing well. Happy to talk about the World Series baseball. Absolutely. And again, I, I know you've seen a lot of the Braves prospects and things of that nature coming through. Uh, it was bullpen games on Saturday and Sunday. You won one of those. I take that as a win. But kind of walk us through the decision of Brian Snicker to open the game on Saturday and Sunday. One with a guy in Dylan Lee who had never started before in the major leagues and his first starts in the World Series. He's the only guy ever to do that, probably for good reason. And then you have Tucker Davidson, who hadn't pitched in the big league since, what, June uh, due to injury, starting uh, the baseball game there last night. Yeah, I think I think the Dylan Lee uh, the, the, the Dylan Lee strategy was an interesting one. I think the main reason is they wanted Kyle Wright to, to pitch a majority of the game. And we've seen in his past that Kyle hasn't necessarily started games really strong. Uh, personally, I probably would have gone with someone like a, a Jesse Chavez in that situation just because Dylan Lee coming into that game had pitched four innings total in the majors. Uh, I, I know they were trying to stack lefties and maybe get uh, the Astros to put a bunch of lefties up top, but Dusty's gonna, he's going to stick to the same strategy that got them to the World Series, so we didn't really see that. I think it ended up hurting Hurting the Braves a little bit, but Kyle Wright was able to pitch an amazing game, almost going with five innings of one-run baseball. And then game five, you know, the Braves needed innings from somebody. Unfortunately, Tucker Davidson, you know, he has a great story. He hasn't pitched since June, making his uh, return from a forearm strain. It didn't work out. His first inning, he looked really sharp. But then, as you can imagine, not having pitched in a single game dating back to June, you're going to be rusty, and that certainly showed up. And then, you know, he just kind of fell apart with Minter, of all people, uh, struggling a lot after, who knows, maybe a lot of usage. It could just have been a, a really bad day for him. So I understood the strategy. The execution didn't really work out. And excluding Game 5, how impressed have you been with this bullpen for the Braves? We know coming into this World Series, all eyes were going to be on that bullpen. I mean, how impressed have you been with the guys despite Game 5? I mean, you know what you're going to get from the Big Four between Jackson, Minter, uh, Will Smith and Matzik, but then it's everyone else. Chris Martin had a had a really good inning himself. Jesse Chavez struggled yesterday, which is something that you haven't really seen too much. But then again, Drew Smiley got three really big innings uh, last night, which were able to preserve the arms of, of Matzik and them, and they're able to potentially pitch multiple innings in a, in a game six uh, closeout scenario. So, yeah, you really can't understate just how incredible they've been. It, it seems like every single game has been a new a new almost a new record. I know a, a crazy stat heading into great game six was of all players on both rosters, 
it's actually Luke Jackson that's had the best, analytically that has had the most impact for a title. Uh, and that's coming from a middle reliever. So you really cannot understate just how impressive these arms have been. And again, you talk about uh, who pitched last night there, Gaurav, and I, I think lost in all that. You saw a lot of fans kind of complaining about it last night is, you know, Brian Snicker for as much as you can in a seven-game series, but given the roster, he's kind of playing the long game, right? He's like, hey, you're only down two runs. Why are you not pitching, uh, you know, Matzik or, uh, or or Luke Jackson in that game? Obviously to save them for a, a game six or game seven when it's all out there on the line and not blowing through them last night when, yeah, it was only two runs, but you could have really used them up in a game that you may not have come back and won anyway. Yeah, and I think it's just Snickers playing strategy there. I, I totally understand the idea of pitching your biggest arms and maintaining that two-run lead and try and chip away at that. I, I think Snickers just played odds, right? They're going to have to beat us time. Uh, give the opportunity, you know, Matic pitched two innings on, on Tuesday night. Uh Minter, again, will be available. Uh, all these arms should be pretty fresh. I understand the strategy. Uh, you could really go both ways, but I think, personally, I think Snicker uh, went the right, uh, right decision. What, what, what strategy do you think helped the Braves the most? I mean, trying to get out to an early, you know, early lead and uh, make, uh, make Houston Astros uh, chase them down, or do you think it's more than late-game heroics? I mean, I know we've seen both, but which one do you think kind of favors them going into game six? It's easily got to be go with the early lead. The Astros are such an offensive juggernaut. They go, especially over in the AL now, where they have the DH, they go one through nine really, really deep. So you want to try and, and almost humiliate them, right? Set the tone, score as much as you can early on, and then kind of rein in because you're going to have some some younger arms pitch. Uh, you have some players struggling. You know, Ozzy's most likely going to get moved down. So if you can really come out the gates at Solaire, Freeman, Rosario, Riley can really start off the game strong, put some runs on the runs on the uh, runs on the board, and then hope that you know Max Freed is able to be the Max Freed from the end of the last uh, of the last game. Uh, you have a, you have a recipe for success because if you're able to really shorten the games or really early get Freed through five or six, and then have the big arms or the night shift take over, then you have a real high probability of winning that game and winning a World Series. Gaurav Vidak, uh, Talking Chop, joining us here on 3 and Out. And, uh, and Gaurav, what's your confidence level with Max at this point? I know a lot of people said, look, when he's good, he's really good. But down the stretch, he's been shaky. Where's your confidence level in Max on the road, hostile environment uh, there in Houston? It's still extremely high for me. It's still Max Freed. He's put together two incredible seasons. Uh, I really hope that it's, it was him tipping pitches. I know that was a lot of the talk is him t- tipping pitches. Uh, by the end of game two, he really seemed to have found his stride and he was attacking the Astros and really settled in. Really hoping, yeah, it, it's been a couple of tough starts, but there's no one else I would rather have, especially with Charlie Morton now uh, for this closeout game six. I, I have the utmost confidence in him. Whether it's curses and all this, all this nonsense <laughs> that goes on with, it, <coughs> with the Braves and trying to get over that hump, what is it going to mean, not just to the Braves organization, but to the city of Atlanta, if the Braves can finally get this thing done in game six? Oh, it officially ends what everyone has been talking about for quite some time, and that's the Atlanta sports curse. It seems like none of these teams are, are, are destined to win. Outside of Atlanta United, none of them seem destined to win the big game. Uh, I think it, as, as dramatic as this sounds, it really helps restore some of the faith for the fans that their big teams can win at any point. 
and again, I, I I feel like you should have a lot of confidence and in, in, against all that. I I've girl, I've been on the show saying, look, all that stuff is nonsense. You either make a play or you don't. Uh, and this team is good. This team has been clutched. This team has made plays, and I still feel good. Uh, you know, going to Houston, the, the 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 mindset of hey, we need to take one of two from Houston. You did that. You take two of three in Atlanta, you did that. Now they, you take one of two uh, in Houston, and the Astros have to beat you three times in a row, but you take one of two in Houston, and you're world champs. I mean, this is a team, uh, I know Ozzie Albies is struggling, but you look at the rest of the lineup, they've all kind of had individually their own moments in this series where they've come up huge for you. And we're back in Houston. There's not going to be a single starting pitcher hitting. Yeah, that's Max Fried out there, and he's a, he's great with the the, hat, the bat in his hands, but it's still a pitcher hitting. Uh, it's just such a deep lineup. You're you're able to drop Ozzy down. You're able to potentially move up. You know, Adam Duvall, Tra- uh, Travis Darno up a little bit, and then at the end of your lineup, you're looking at a combo of Ozzy and Dansby. That's a whole lot of speed up on that potentially on the base patch for. Rosario for Solaire, you know the, the the bats still have a chance. We're still in a great spot again. Like you said, they have to win. Houston has to win three in a row. And yeah, the Dodgers did it last year, but probability-wise, the chances of that happening twice are extremely low. And I have to, you have to maintain confidence. You have exactly who you want on the mound on Game Six, and it has to. If it has to go to a Game Seven, Astros are struggling with their starting pitching as well. They their bullpens pitched pitched a ton of innings as well. Ian Anderson just came off of a, yeah, it's a technically a no-hitter. He struggled a little bit, but still a no-hitter. You have to like the Braves on. Rosario has played, I mean, he's played the hero. We've seen We've seen uh, Swanson and Soler play the hero, obviously. Matt Sick and uh, Will Smith and those guys have been lights out. Do you think this is fitting if the old, if, you know, uh, if, if the old consummate professional, Freddie Freeman goes out and have, you know, won the game of his life, especially when his, uh, his uh, new contract pending for him to go out there and kind of show the world who he is and what he is in, uh, in game six. It would be only the most fitting end, if you, if you ask me, between the MVP last year and then this is the last year of his contract. And I totally expect the Braves to, to re-sign him. But for his last moment, you know, on this contract, for it to be a huge game to propel the team to a, to a title, it's got to be the most fitting way possible. Yeah, he's just adding zeros to whatever the Braves are going to offer at this point, uh, the way uh, it's gone this postseason. But, uh, again, you go back to Houston. Uh, Gurov, do the Braves, and, and hopefully you understand what I'm saying uh, when I say this, are the Braves treating Game 6 like Game 7? Like, do you manage Game 6 like it's Game 7 to try to get it done and don't give the Houston crowd a chance to show up on Wednesday night in a Game 7? Do you manage it like a Game 7? A hundred percent. If you have, if the Braves have a lead late, you know, we're talking five or six innings, you could, or after the fifth or sixth inning, you, I 100% expect uh, Brian Snicker to go really, really aggressive with his arms. Luke Jackson for, you know, one or two innings, Matzik for two innings. I expect him to shorten the game as much as possible if there's a lead. So again, if you have a lead in the world series, you have to go all in. If Max Freed is doing well, I still think he's got a pretty short leash, uh, even if the Braves do have a lead, because you want to play the odds, you want to get your best players out there. Uh, you have to go, you have to go for it all, uh, as far as I'm concerned. So if the Braves have a lead, have a lead, you know, in the third to, to fourth inning, you might see Brian start to get really aggressive with these arms. And, and, and Gaurav, I've asked a lot of people about this. I'm interested to get your thoughts on it. That just the way the game has evolved, that the starting pitchers make the money. Yet, here in the postseason, uh, and especially in this World Series, both teams 
have had bullpen games. Both teams have been quick to yank their starters out. And it seems like the guys you trust the least are the guys you pay the most money to uh, to go out and win your games. And the guys you trust the most are the guys that are coming in on, on the back end. Kind of the, the uh, baseball's like gone opposite uh, of itself here in the last uh, handful of years where the guys you trust the most are the ones you only need to pitch for an inning. Yeah, it essentially has evolved into a sport where the starting pitchers are there to carry you through the third, to carry you through the regular season. And then when it comes crunch time, you want to make sure you got your best, freshest arms out there for the best matchup possible. You're totally seeing an evolution in baseball. Uh, I, I, I don't think much is going to change either. I think uh, the regular season is still going to be owned by starting pitching, but you're going to see a transition to people using openers in the playoffs, trying to play those matchups, get uh, opposing managers to try and outthink themselves. You know, you really saw Dave Roberts do that in the NLCS. He really overthought things um, based on some of the strategy that Brian Snicker has. But, yeah, you're 100% right. We're, we're definitely seeing an evolution in baseball. Gurav Vidak, Talking Chop, our guest here on 3 and Out. Gurav, we appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Gurav Vidak joining us here is the Braves and Astros tomorrow night. Game six, and I know, Ben, football is a little different. You don't obviously play a series, but he said, I kind of agree. You you manage game six like it's game seven, and if you are available, we're using it. We, we are doing everything we can to get this thing done tomorrow night. I think that's how you have to go into it, Kevin. You don't want to play with this Astros team. It's very, very dangerous. I mean, because – I know you playing. I know you have a cushion, but you got to play as if you got to play as if you're the Astros, saying we got to get a win to get on to get it over with. Because this Astro team has proven. Look, man, just when you can count them out, being down three one, I mean, a lot of teams they would have been over, you know, uh, in truest the other night. But this is a team that's understand they're playing for a different type of legacy. So yes, you if you are available, you know, come tomorrow night, you should be ready to go out there and pitch because we're gonna need all hands on deck, Kevin. I need your best stuff. For three, for three, for two, for one or two innings, because we don't want to have to go to a game seven, you know, uh, win, win all, you know, win all type game, because that do, that doesn't favor well for a for a Braves team that doesn't seem to play well on the road. Well, we'll see what happens again tomorrow night. I think uh, again, Max Fried, as he said, the guy you want out there uh, on game six to uh, to go out there and try to close this thing out. We will see what happens. We'll come back. We'll talk a little Georgia football. Brooks Austin, Dogs Daily on SI. We'll hear from him next here on Three and Out. Good to have you here on this Monday. Monday Night Football coming up a little bit later tonight. But uh, tomorrow, Ben, we'll have Game 6 of the World Series. Braves in Houston to take on the Astros. Uh, obviously trying to finish that thing off. I know, man, last night when Duvall hit that Grand Slam, you said, hey, I wish I was there. Yep, I was I was feeling I was like, oh, four runs just like that. Oh, man. And then my, my next thought was you just need to milk it to the fifth or sixth inning. So you could get to that bullpen. It didn't happen. But uh yeah, that's why uh, I always like to tell people, hey, when you play good teams, they're just not going to give it to you. They, di- they didn't get to the World Series by rolling over. So, uh, yeah, the Braves going to have to go out there and earn it and should be a lot of fun tomorrow. Kevin, there's going to be a lot of drama, and we, sh- and we should expect that, right? I mean, if, we, if, if the Braves are finally going to exercise some demons, and I don't, wanna, I don't believe in the curses either and all this nonsense, they're going to have to earn it because I think both teams have kind of figured each other out. They've seen, okay, we've had five games to kind of see who does what well. Obviously, either team want to jump out on the other team early, make the other team play catch up. But Kevin, I just, I, I hate to do the whole. Oh, I feel it. I can feel it in the air and all this other type of stuff. But <laughs> the Braves have come a long way to get to this point, and I know these Braves right now have nothing to do with the '90s. They have nothing to do with what didn't happen before, but they carry that weight of that. Freddie Free, 
I know you said coming into this world, it don't even feel like, you know, it ain't even hit you yet. I hope it hits you tomorrow night because if Freddie Free can go out there and be Freddie Free, Kevin, and he can kind of lead the way, this could be a really, really good game. I expect it to be theatrics, Kevin, and I expect some years to come off my life tomorrow because I know it's going to be crazy. But I'd rather the Braves be up 3-2 going back to Houston than to be down 3-2 going back to Houston. Uh, certainly. And, again, that, that's uh, go, going back to Houston, trying to have to win both games as opposed to just one. Uh, the pressure is certainly on the Astros to do it. And hopefully Max Freed comes out uh, Max Fried comes out tomorrow with his best stuff and can, uh, can get the job done there for the Atlanta Braves. Appreciate Brooks Austin joining us here on 3 and Out also. Uh, Gurav Vidak of Talking Chop uh, joined us as well as David Waters from uh, Gators Breakdown. Again, he asked Dan Mullen about recruiting. Dan Mullen said, we'll talk about it later. We'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> Three and out.